Okay, so, folks, um, we have got to take a look at what we saw last week. So, uh, last time, last time on Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Chapters 16 and 17, Godric's Hollow and Batilda's Secret. We start in Godric's... Well, we don't start in Godric's Hollow. Harry convinces Hermione to go to Godric's Hollow. It's surprising because Hermione has been opposed for such a long time. I can tell I slept well last night because I'm not stumbling through my review. Um, we have... We've been walking around with them in the wilderness and, you know... Uh, uh, heading to different locations, trying to remain in secret, trying to remain in hiding. And without Ron here, without a better sense of where they need to go, they're just sort of lost right now. They're kind of wandering, and they both almost simultaneously realize, you know what, it's probably time to go to Godric's Hollow. There's too much shared history for it not to be significant in some way. Um, but Harry convinces Hermione. They, they just figure between the similarities between uh, Harry's history there and Dumbledore's history there, um, uh, uh, Rita Skeeter's explorations, shall we call them, uh, or interviews or something, uh, with Batilda Bagshot, who lived there, there's just too much shared history for it not to be important in some way. That's mostly what's going through Hermione's mind. For Harry, it's very much about trying to visit the graves of his parents. Finally, they head out there. They've taken precautions, they have disguised themselves as muggles, they have got the invisibility cloak uh, pitched over top, and they arrive in this little town, Godric's Hollow. It's this little village, and um, arriving there, they... Sorry, Sam says, uh, excuse me, Archer Kid says, Sam, I just finished uh, Order of the Phoenix, the archway scene. Absolutely amazed that I had to pause icing on the cake that you're live right after that epic scene. Excellent. Uh, I am I am glad that you are, you're enjoying it. <laughs> um, they have arrived in Godric's Hollow and they're wandering around. Um, this is a pretty magical place. It's got some deep magical history. They go to the graveyard. Um, where they find uh, graves with names like Abbott, you know, like Hannah Abbott, different wizarding lineages. Um, and Shotzi, you are very welcome. I am so glad y'all sent me that, and I'm looking forward to doing more. Um, they are, they see a couple of familiar names, and then they see some very familiar names. First of all, um, Ariana and Kendra Dumbledore. Um, they see that grave. They move along a little bit, and they see an odd grave with what appears to be the, um, th that triangle, that weird eye symbol, um, uh, that they saw Xenophilius Lovegood wearing, and that some folks have claimed is the, the mark of Gellert Grindelwald, the, the, one of the most notable evil wizards of all time. Um, it's on the grave of someone called Ignotus something or other, um, but they they uh, they continue on, and finally they find Harry's parents' grave. It says the last enemy that shall be defeated is death, and we are uh, we are sort of struck by uh, as Harry stands there and thinks through the life that he could have had if his parents had not been taken from him. He would have probably had friends. He probably would have had friends here. He would have lived here. Might have, might have um, uh, you know, even come to know some other wizarding families. They decide they're going to move along, and walking along the street, they find the house. 
This is the house that Harry's parents were murdered. Harry gets kind of a, a flash, a little vision, and uh, suddenly nearby there's this old woman um, who they start to interact with, and they find that, okay, this must be Batilda Bagshot. Um, she confirms that she is, you know, with a, with a nod, but she's acting strangely. She takes them to her house, and Harry can see all these pictures, um, uh, and a, a copy of a book from Rita Skeeter, um, and he believes, you know, this is Batilda Bagshot. This must be... This must be the spot where Dumbledore hid the sword. He must have given it to Batilda for safekeeping, so that I, Harry, could come along and get it when I figured out the clues. She takes Harry upstairs, alone, leaving Hermione downstairs, and gesturing him over toward a corner. Harry suddenly gets a pain in his scar, and... Emerging from the body of Batilda Bagshot is the snake Nagini. It's a horrifying scene, um, but the snake holds on to Harry, trying to keep Harry here because Harry knows Voldemort is coming. And as Hermione fights her way up the stairs uh, and tries to get Harry away, Harry is flashing in and out of consciousness. And when he's out of consciousness, when he's not aware of what's going on here, what he sees is Voldemort's perspective. Um, Voldemort is bringing the, uh, uh, Voldemort is, 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 is on his way. And then here it gets a flashback. A flashback to the things that maybe Voldemort is remembering, maybe it's just Harry's proximity to the location where it happened, but he remembers, with Voldemort's eyes, the scene of his parents' death. How Voldemort approached the house, how they were all... In a peaceful scene, Harry was so young, and Voldemort walks into the house, kills James Potter, and goes up the stairs to where Lily Potter is protecting her son. She begs Voldemort for Harry's life to spare him, and Voldemort, although we now get the impression he didn't plan to kill the parents, now he kills Lily Potter and then kills Harry. Except the spell that should have killed Harry suddenly explodes and blows Voldemort out of his own body into a just a universe of pain. Um, and he is powerless. And that is where the vision ends. We find that Hermione has whisked Harry away. Uh, they jump out the window and Hermione manages to mid-air... Um, I keep thinking transport, but that's not the word. What is it? Um, what's the what's the dang word for uh, for popping in and out of existence? Uh, disapparate. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah, Rubik's gaming had to apparate, um, but yeah, managed to disapparate out of midair, and uh, they disappear. They're back at their campsite with one piece of very bad news. Harry's wand is broken, and Hermione does not believe it will be able to be fixed. That is our review for the day. Intikana, thank you very much uh, for uh, for your generosity as well. Uh, throwing those. Oh, and Jess Brown had some some bits. I didn't see those. So Jess Brown, thank you for the bits. And Intikana, thank you for uh, for sharing that subscription with folks. Um, everybody, it is great to have you all here. I'm excited to read. I'm always excited to read when I'm when I'm feeling like I'm in good straits. And tonight I am in good straits. Don't let that little mini stumble <laughs> belie my my enthusiasm or my preparedness because I'm prepared. Sloth creatures, how's it going? Now I'm prepped for hydration.
Let's do this thing. Oh. Emily Rose, I'm glad you uh I'm glad you're in the vicinity though. I hope you're doing well. And uh, Memni, thank you very much. And a quick reminder to you all, I appreciate so very much all the generosity. I'm going to cover it after the chapter or during chatter breaks um, because I it's like it's important to me that that y'all know how much I appreciate it. But uh, I also think it's important that we get a smooth a smooth read through for everybody. So uh, Memni, thank you very much. And uh, if any of y'all have anything to share, <laughs> um, I appreciate it, and I will promise I will come back to it after the chapter. Okay. Whoa, deep breath. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you guys a little a little uh <laughs> a little mini show, a little behind the scenes. I haven't done my my vocal warm ups yet, so let me just go through those really quick. Yes, I really do this. Just to uh just to limber my mouth up a bit and then and I sound like uh Dory communicating with the whale, don't I? <laughs> Oh boy, those are called sirens, and they're just to get the vocal cords stretched at the top and bottom ends. Okay, let's actually do this though, shall we? Let's actually read something today. You guys think we should read something today? <laughs> oh boy, here we go. Chapter 18. The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> the sun was coming up. The pure, colorless vastness of the sky stretched over him, indifferent to him and his suffering. Harry sat down in the entrance tent and... Excuse me. Harry sat down in the tent entrance and took a deep breath of clean air. Simply to be alive and watch the sun rise over the sparkling hillside ought to have been the greatest treasure on earth, and yet he could not appreciate it. His senses had been spiked by the calamity of losing his wand. He looked out over a valley blanketed in snow, distant church bells chiming through the glittering silence. Without realizing it, he was digging his fingers into his arms as if he were trying to resist physical pain. He had spilled his own blood more times than he could count. He had lost all the bones in his right arm once. This journey had already given him scars to his chest and forearms to join those on his hand and forehead, but never, until this moment, had he felt himself to be fatally weakened. Vulnerable and naked as though the best part of his magical power had been torn from him. He knew exactly what Hermione would say if he expressed any of this. The wand is only as good as the wizard. But she was wrong. His case was different. She had not felt the wand spin like the needle of a compass and shoot golden flames at his enemy. He had lost the protection of the twin cores, and only now that it was gone did he realize how much he had been counting upon it. He pulled the pieces of the broken wand out of his pocket, and without looking at them, tucked them away in Hagrid's pouch around his neck. The pouch was now too full of broken and useless objects to take any more. Harry's hand brushed the old snitch through the mokeskin for a moment, and he had to fight the temptation to pull it out and throw it away impenetrable, unhelpful, useless, like everything else Dumbledore had left behind. 
and his fury at Dumbledore broke over him now like lava, scorching him inside, wiping out every other feeling. Out of sheer desperation, they had talked themselves into believing that Godric's Hollow held answers, convinced themselves that they were supposed to go back, that it was all part of some secret path laid out for them by Dumbledore. But there was no map, no plan. Dumbledore had left them to grope in the darkness, to wrestle with unknown and undreamed of terrors, alone and unaided. Nothing was explained, nothing was given freely, they had no sword, and now Harry had no wand. And he had dropped the photograph of the thief. And it would surely be easy now for Voldemort to find out who he was. Voldemort had all the information now. Harry? Hermione looked frightened that he might curse her with her own wand. Her face streaked with tears, she crouched down beside him, two cups of tea trembling in her hands and something bulky under her arm. Thanks, he said, taking one of the cups. Do you mind if I talk to you? No, he said, because he did not want to hurt her feelings. Harry, you wanted to know who that man in the pictures was. Well, I've got the book. Timidly, she pushed it into his lap, a pristine copy of The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore. Where? How? It was in Batilda's sitting room, just lying there. This note was sticking out of the top of it. Hermione read the few lines of spiky, acid-green writing aloud. Dear Batty, thanks for your help. Here's a copy of the book. I hope that you like it. You said everything, even if you don't remember it. Rita. I think it must have arrived while the real Batilda was alive, but perhaps she wasn't in any fit state to read it. No, she probably wasn't. Harry looked down upon Dumbledore's face and experienced a surge of savage pleasure. Now he would know all the things that Dumbledore had never thought it worth telling him whether Dumbledore wanted him to or not. You're still really angry at me, aren't you? said Hermione. He looked up to see fresh tears leaking out of her eyes and knew that his anger must have shown on his face. No. No, Hermione, I know that it was an accident. You were trying to get us out of there alive and you were incredible. I'd be dead if you hadn't turned up there to help me. He tried to return her watery smile, then turned his attention to the book. Its spine was stiff. It had clearly never been opened before. He riffled through the pages, looking for photographs. He came across the one he sought almost at once. The young Dumbledore and his handsome companion, roaring with laughter at some long-forgotten joke, Harry dropped his eyes to the caption. Albus Dumbledore, shortly after his mother's death, with his friend, Gellert Grindelwald. Harry gaped at the last word for several long moments. Grindelwald. His friend, Grindelwald. He looked sideways at Hermione, who was still contemplating the name as though she did not believe her eyes. Slowly, she looked up at Harry. 
Grindelwald? Ignoring the remainder of the photographs, Harry searched the pages around for a recurrence of that fatal name. He soon discovered it and read greedily, but became lost. It was necessary to go further back to make sense of it all, and finally he found himself at the start of a chapter titled The Greater Good. Together, he and Hermione started to read. Now approaching his eighteenth birthday, Dumbledore left Hogwarts in a blaze of glory. Head boy, prefect, winner of the Barnabas Finky Prize for exceptional spellcasting, British youth representative to the Wizengamot, gold medal winner for groundbreaking contribution to the International Alchemical Conference in Cairo. Dumbledore intended, next, to take a grand tour with Alphaeus Dog Breath Doge, the dim-witted but devoted sidekick he had picked up at school. The two young men were staying in the Leaky Cauldron in London preparing to depart for Greece the following morning, when an owl arrived bearing news of Dumbledore's mother's death. Dog Breath Doge, who refused to be interviewed for this book, was given the public his own sentimental version of what happened next. He represents Kendra's death as a tragic blow and Dumbledore's decision to give up his expedition as an act of noble self-sacrifice. Certainly, Dumbledore returned to Godric's Hollow at once, supposedly to care for his younger brother and sister, but how much care did he actually give them? "'Be red, case that Aberforth,' said Enid Smeek. Uh, let's see, that's not a great voice for Enid Smeek. Enid is a... is... Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see, what do we think? Enid Smeek. What's a, what's a good voice for a Smeek? Uh, it sounds like something out of a, a, a Dr. Seuss book, doesn't it? it, it isn't it something out of a Dr. Seuss book? Like the, 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 like the <laughs> Shaggy. We've done Shaggy before. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, kind of mousy, says Lisa Hall. I can work with that. Um, hey, what a head case, that April 4th, said Enid Smeek, whose family lived in the outskirts of Godric's Hollow at the time. Run wild, of course. With his mum and dad gone, you'd have felt sorry for him. Only he kept chucking goat dung at my head. I don't think Albus was forced about him. I never saw them together, anyway. So what was Albus doing, if not comforting his young, wild brother? The answer, it seems, is ensuring the continual imprisonment of his sister. For, though her first jailer had died, there was no change in the pitiful condition of Ariana Dumbledore. Her very existence continued to be known only to a few outsiders who, like Dogbreath Doge, had counted... had could be counted upon to believe in the story of her ill health. Another easily satisfied friend of the family was Batilda Bagshot, the celebrated magical historian who has lived in Godric's Hollow for many years. Kendra, of course, has rebuffed Batilda when she first attempted to welcome the family to the village. Several years later, however, the author sent an owl to Albus at Hogwarts, having been favorably impressed by his paper on trans-species transformation in Transfiguration Today. This initial contact led to acquaintance with the entire Dumbledore family. At the time of Kendra's death, Batilda was the only person in Godric's Hollow who was on speaking terms with Dumbledore's mother. Unfortunately, the brilliance that Batilda exhibited earlier in her life has now dimmed. <laughs> uh, the fire's lit, but the cauldron's empty. 
as Eivor Dillonsby put it to me, or in Enid Smeek's slightly earthier phrase, She's nutty as a squirrel poo. Nevertheless, a combination of tried and tested reporting techniques enabled me to extract enough nuggets of hard fact to string together the whole scandalous story. Like the rest of the wizarding world, Batilda puts Kendra's premature death down to a backfiring charm, a story repeated by Albus and Aberforth in later years. Matilda also parrots the family line on Ariana, calling her frail and delicate. On one subject, however, Matilda is well worth the effort I put into procuring Veritaserum, for she, and she alone, knows the full story of the best-kept secret of Albus Dumbledore's life. Now revealed for the first time, it calls into question everything that his admirers believed of Dumbledore, his supposed hatred of the dark arts, his opposition to the oppression of muggles, even his devotion to his own family. The very same summer that Dumbledore went home to Godric's Hollow, now an orphan and the head of the family, Matilda Bagshot agreed to accept into her home her great-nephew, Gellert Grindelwald. The name of Grindelwald is justly famous. In a list of most dangerous dark wizards of all time, he would miss out on the top spot only because you know who arrived, a generation later, to steal his crown. As Grindelwald never extended his campaign of terror to Britain, however, the details of his rise to power are not widely known here. Educated at Durmstrang, the school famous even then for its unfortunate tolerance of the dark arts, Grindelwald showed himself quite as precociously brilliant as Dumbledore. Rather than channel his abilities into the attainment of awards and prizes, however, Gellert Grindelwald devoted himself to other pursuits. At sixteen years old, even Durmstrang felt it could no longer turn a blind eye to the twisted experiments of Gellert Grindelwald, and he was banished. Hitherto, all that has been known of Grindelwald's next movements is that he traveled abroad for some months. It can now be revealed that Grindelwald chose to visit his great-aunt in Godric's Hollow, and that there, intensely shocking that it will be for many to hear, he struck up a close friendship with none other than Albus Dumbledore. They seemed a charming boy to me, babbles Batilda. Whatever he became later, naturally I introduced him to poor Albus, who was missing the company of lads his own age. The boys took to each other at once. They certainly did. Batilda shows me a letter, kept by her, that Albus Dumbledore sent to Gellert Grindelwald in the dead of night. Yes, even after they'd spent all day in discussion, both such brilliant young boys, they got on like a cauldron on fire. And sometimes hear an owl tapping at Gellert's bedroom window, delivering a letter from Albus. An idea would have struck him, and he would let Gellert know immediately. And what ideas they were. Profoundly shocking, though Albus Dumbledore's fans will find it, here are the thoughts of their seventeen-year-old hero, as relayed to his new best friend. A copy of the original letter is to be seen on page 463. Gellert, your point on wizard dominance being for the muggle's own good. This, I think, is the crucial point. Yes, we will have been given power. Excuse me. Yes, we have been given power.
power, and yes, that power gives us the right to rule, but it also gives us responsibilities over the ruled. We must stress this point. It will be the foundation stone upon which we build. Where we are opposed, as we will surely be, this must be the basis of all of our counter-arguments. We seize control for the greater good. And from this it follows that where we meet resistance, we must use only the force that is necessary, and no more. This was your mistake at Durmstrang. But I do not complain, because if you had not been expelled, we would never have met. Albus. Astonished and appalled though his many admirers will be, this letter constitutes proof that Albus Dumbledore once dreamed of overthrowing the statute of secrecy and establishing wizard rule over muggles. What a blow for those who have always portrayed Dumbledore as the muggle-born's greatest champion. How hollow those speeches promoting muggle rights seem to be in the light of this damning new evidence. How despicable does Albus Dumbledore appear, busy plotting his rise to power when he should have been mourning his mother and caring for his sister. No doubt, those determined to keep Dumbledore on his crumbling pedestal will bleat that he did not, after all, put his plans into action, that he must have suffered a change of heart, that he came to his senses. However, the truth seems altogether more shocking. Barely two months into their great new friendship, Dumbledore and Grindelwald parted, never to see each other again until they met for their legendary duel. For more, see Chapter 22. What caused this abrupt rupture? Had Dumbledore come to his senses? Had he told Grindelwald he wanted to put no more into his plans? Alas, no. It was poor little Ariana dying, I think, that did it, says Batilda. It came as an awful shock. Gellert was there in the house when it happened, and he came back to my house all of a dither, and told me he wanted to go home the next day. Terribly distressed, you know, so I arranged a portkey, and that was the last I saw of him. Albus was beside himself at Ariana's death. It was so dreadful for those two brothers. They had lost everything except each other. No wonder tempers ran a little high. Aberforth blamed Albus, you know, as people will under these dreadful circumstances. But Aberforth always talked a little madly, poor boy. All the same, breaking Albus's news at the funeral was not decent. It would have destroyed Kendra to see her sons fighting like that across her daughter's body. The shame Gellert could not have stayed for the funeral. It would have been a comfort to Albus, at least. And honestly, I don't feel like I'm going so hard. I don't feel like I'm going hard enough. She's gone for such yellow journalism here. I really got to lean into it, so bear with me. This dreadful coffin-side brawl, known only to those who attended Ariana's funeral, raises several questions. Why exactly did Aberforth Dumbledore blame Albus for his sister's death? Was it, as Batty pretends, a mere effusion of grief? Or could there have been some more concrete reason for his fury? Grindelwald, expelled from Durmstrang for near-fatal attacks upon fatal... fatal... upon fellow students, fled the country hours after the girl's death. And Albus, out of shame or fear, never saw him again. 
not until forced to do so by the pleas of the wizarding world. <laughs> Glad it's working for y'all. Neither Dumbledore nor Grindelwald ever seems to have referred to this brief boyhood friendship later in life. However, there can be no doubt that Dumbledore delayed, for some five years of turmoil, fatalities, and disappearances, his attack upon Gellert Grindelwald. Was it lingering affection for the man, or fear of exposure at his best friend causing Dumbledore to hesitate? Was it only reluctancy that Dumbledore set out to capture the man that he was so delighted he had met? Oh, excuse me, was it only reluctantly that Dumbledore set out? And how did the mysterious Ariana die? Was she the inadvertent victim of some dark rite? Did she stumble across something she ought not to have done, as the two young men sat practicing for their attempt at glory and domination? Is it possible that Ariana Dumbledore was the first person to die for the greater good? The chapter ended here, and Harry looked up. Hermione had reached the bottom of the page before him. She tugged the book out of Harry's hands, looking a little alarmed by his expression, and closed it without looking at it, as though hiding something indecent. But he shook his head. Some inner certainty had crashed down inside him. It was exactly how he had felt after Ron left. He had trusted Dumbledore. Believed him the embodiment of goodness and wisdom. All was ashes. How much more could he lose? Ron, Dumbledore, the Phoenix Wand. Harry? She seemed to have heard his thoughts. Listen to me. It... it doesn't make very nice reading. Yes, you could say that. And don't forget, Harry, this is Rita Skeeter writing. You did read that letter to Grindelwald, didn't you? Yes, I... I did. She hesitated, looking upset, cradling her tea in her hands. I think... That's the worst bit. I know Matilda thought that it was all just talk, but for the greater good became Grindelwald's slogan. His justification for all the atrocities he committed later. And from that, it looks like Dumbledore gave him the idea. They say that for the greater good was even carved over the entrance to Nurmengard. What's Nurmengard? The prison that Grindelwald had built to hold his opponents. He ended up in there himself once Dumbledore had caught him. Anyway, it's... it's an awful thought that Dumbledore's ideas helped Grindelwald rise to power, but, on the other hand, even Rita can't pretend that they knew each other for more than a few months one summer, when they were both really young and... I thought that you would say that, said Harry. He did not want his anger to spell out at her, but it was hard to keep his voice steady. I thought that you would say they were young. They were the same age that we are now, and here we are, risking our lives to fight the Dark Arts, and there he was in a huddle with his new best friend, plotting their rise to power over the Muggles. His temper would not remain in check much longer. He stood up and walked around, trying to work some of it off. I'm not trying to defend what Dumbledore wrote, said Hermione. All that right to rule rubbish, it's magic is might all over again, but Harry, his mother had just died. He was stuck alone in the house. Alone? 
He wasn't alone. He was with his brother and sister for company and his squib sister, who was being kept locked up. I don't believe it, said Hermione. She stood up too. Whatever was wrong with that girl, I don't think that she was a squib. The Dumbledore that we knew would never, ever have allowed... The Dumbledore that we knew didn't want to conquer muggles by force, Harry shouted, his voice echoing across the empty hilltop, and several blackbirds rose into the air, squawking and spiraling against the pearly sky. He changed, Harry. He changed. It's as simple as that. Maybe he did believe those things when he was seventeen, but the whole of the rest of his life was devoted to fighting the dark arts. Dumbledore was the one who stopped Grindelwald. The one who always voted for muggle protection and muggle-born rights. Who fought you-know-who from the start. And he died trying to bring him down. Rita's book lay on the ground between them, so that the face of Albus Dumbledore smiled dolefully at both. Harry, I'm sorry, but I think that the real reason you're so angry is that Dumbledore never told you any of this himself. Maybe I am! Harry bellowed, and he flung his arms over his head, hardly knowing whether he was going to try and hold in his anger or protect himself from the weight of his own disillusionment. Look what he asked from me, Hermione! Risk your life, Harry, and again, and again, and don't expect me to explain anything! Just trust me! Blindly trust that I know what I'm doing! Trust me even though I don't trust you! Never the whole truth! Never! His voice cracked with the strain and they stood looking at each other in the whiteness and the emptiness. And Harry felt that they were as insignificant as insects beneath the wide sky. He loved you, Hermione whispered. I know he loved you. Harry dropped his arms. I, I don't know who he loved, Hermione. But it was never me. This, it, this isn't love. The mess that he's left me in, he shared a damn sight more of what he was really thinking with Gellert Grindelwald than he ever shared with me. Harry picked up Hermione's wand, which he had dropped in the snow, and sat back down in the entrance of the tent. Thanks for the tea. I'll finish the watch. You get back in the warm. She hesitated, but recognized the dismissal. She picked up the book, and then walked back past him into the tent. But as she did so, she brushed the top of her head lightly. But as she did so, she brushed the top of his head lightly with her hand. He closed his eyes at her touch and hated himself for wishing that what she said was true. That Dumbledore had really cared. That's the end of this chapter. Jess Brown, I think you're exactly right. Harry has a lot of anger for Dumbledore in this book, and Frodo comes in with just about what I was going to say. It's understandable. It's hard realizing that your hero isn't perfect. I think more and more in this sort of internet age of the sort of... Um, <laughs> it's sort of like uh, the middle classation of heroes, right? 
Because people have these things. I don't think most folks would describe them as heroes, but people will latch onto folks either online or in sort of a more like traditional. When I say traditional, I mean like. 40s 50s 60s um they'll they'll latch onto you know stars in some sense or internet celebrities and then set up this mountain of expectations along with them how much harder must it be for harry who has had direct you know this isn't just some some person that he you know this isn't like um he latched onto the 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 activities of uh like beetle the bard or uh, any one of the folks that he he sort of Landed on. He didn't latch onto like the Weird Sisters or something. He was mentored by Dumbledore. This is someone who. This isn't just like a. Uh, there's a. There's, we're doing two chapters tonight um, because the second one is longer to make up for this one. Don't worry, folks. Um, and Bearden, I'm going to get to that in just a second because you're absolutely right. Um, the. The experience of having someone that you not just look up to, you don't just idolize them, but they had the opportunity to clarify things. At the very, at the very least, we can use the term clarify. More than that, though, um, like to to uh, to pull the veil away from some of these things, to tell the truth, and that I think is where Harry is at. He is in such a state of not being able to trust anyone. That how how devastating must it be to have even those who are gone that you don't feel you know when 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 folks are gone you don't feel like they could let you down you feel like they're sort of fixed in that moment and here we are, Harry is not just let down but has his world dragged out from underneath him by someone who should be in this sort of fixed past state. And how much more devastating must that be when you know Dumbledore can't come back and clarify these things can't come back to explain no 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 listen it wasn't like that or I did it for these reasons for Harry there's just this new information it takes away everything Dumbledore kind of meant to him as a point of stability as a moral compass and tears it away in a in a, in a manner that's got to feel entirely permanent because Dumbledore is not here and never will be to explain, to clarify. Gwendog says he was a teacher, like in a larger sense. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, the uh, and, and then Mirrodin brings up another point. Unethical journalism to break into the mind of a senile old lady also found it odd that uh, in-universe they would call it the Wizarding World. Um, yeah, that is, that is kind of interesting that they would make that distinction like that. I think it must be just that, like, they needed some term. Um, and I think they know, like, as these wizarding communities have been built up, I imagine the history of magic is one that starts with a lot of, um, uh, witches, wizards, and other, you know, other magic users having to hide because of the persecution that they suffered. And, you know, much like, much in the same way that like humanity developed over time in these, you know, tiny, tiny, tiny settlements, tiny little villages, ancient villages, you know, the, the hunter gatherer phase, essentially, um, and eventually fought past the struggles to become societies. I imagine it took even longer for magical communities to form up hidden underneath that. But that must be why they need distinctions for it. 
Jade Dragon says, well, uh, fancy it must be hard meeting your hero and seeing that he's real. Yes, indeed. He's real. He's a, he's a, a person. And uh, I think that that's one of the things that these, these explorations of love that we get in this in this series, this, this type of love, you know, this, boy, we really need, you know, the, in Greek and Hebrew, they had different, different words to describe different types of love. And we've got different words that I think we could probably, like, we try to sort of take love and bend it, um, and say, no, no, that's not real love. That's infatuation or that's, um, uh, you know, uh, attraction or what have you. But even those things don't describe different types of love formally. And I think there is this sort of, there are these different words and it would be great to have four different words for love. Like I can't remember if it's Greek or Hebrew. I think it's Greek. It's Greek. It's Greek. Cause agape is one of them. I used to be able to read Greek and Hebrew. I only remember the alphabets now, but, um, uh, <laughs> homeschooling is a hell of a thing. Um, the, uh, thank you gems. Yep. Uh, but yeah, these, we could use some different terms because this exploration of the different types you know, Lily's love for Harry, Harry's love for Dumbledore, Dumbledore's love, question mark, for Harry, you know, does, is this love, or is it like, is it like Harry said, like, I don't know what this is, but this was not a loving thing to do. Yeah, Rubik's, I, it, it definitely was difficult, but for me, I think I, I am, I, I, I am very thankful for the homeschooling that I got. My parents were super attentive, and um, I, I learned an awful lot that I don't think that I would have, and it really set me up for a lot of success later on. But it, it's different to every person. Um, okay, folks, because I'm not going to stop halfway through Chapter 19, I am going to um, take my break now. So I'm going to take a quick five-minute break in Tikana. Thank you. A good reminder. Uh, Jem says, I think Dumbledore was afraid Harry would make the same mistakes if given the same info that he had. An interesting theory. And Jem's, you've never read or watched these before, correct? Is that right? There, we've got some, we've got some headliner. Lisa, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, we've got, we've got somebody who's, who's in here all the time. I want to say it was Jem's. Yeah, I want to say it's, I, I, th I thought it was Gems who uh, who had not experienced any of this before, so you're coming into it totally blank, which is pretty cool. Um, Jade Dragon says, I wonder if Harry has the necklace on during this, and that's amplifying the emotions. I don't know, let's see, do we get a, do we get a note about who has it on right now? I want to say Hermione took it off of him. I, th I want to say that we ended the last chapter um, uh, with Hermione suggesting that they both take it off for a while. I want to say that was it, but... I don't remember precisely. So, folks, thank you very much for listening. For anyone who doesn't know what this is, what are we doing here? Hi, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. You can find back episodes on YouTube. The channel is under the same name. Um, and I would suggest that you all go there if you are not caught up with us already. Um, for everyone who is caught up, for everyone who's currently watching this on Twitch, thank you so very much for joining me. i uh, got a lot of folks in, and it's always great to see you all. Um, and for everyone who's been so generous over the, uh, already in this in this. Uh, uh, this episode. Thank you very much. Um, you are helping me to, uh, you know, spend more time. Even if I'm not spending the time streaming, you're helping me dedicate more time in the editing. Right now, I'm, I'm editing four different projects. Um, so uh, y'all are really, you, you are helping me out a ton. And uh, even if it doesn't all go into stream time, I hope y'all can see, like, as I put out more and more, um, 
that you can see exactly what I'm doing with the investment that you've made here. So thank you so very much. Uh, I love y'all for the support. And uh, for everyone who is just here to watch, I love y'all here. I love having y'all here too. Uh, everyone who's here to lurk, even if you don't even like to chat, it's great to have you here. And uh, I, 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 I love doing these. I love doing these. All right, folks, I'll see you in five minutes. Bye-bye. And we're back. Hello, everyone. How are you? Welcome back. Uh, I hope you are all doing well. I am certainly doing great. It feels nice to have those short chapters up front and then the longer chapters later because it gives me a chance to kind of, uh, I don't know, take my break early and then really, really feel warmed up for the next ones. Jess Brown says, I've never read the book for Percy Jackson, and I've only seen one of the movies. Uh, Witch Hazel's super excited for it, though. I am glad. Yeah, okay, so I've seen a lot about how the 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 movies are not... They don't do, the, they don't do them justice. Um, and I think that, honestly, if I were to go back and... Well, I don't even need to go back. I almost wonder if, in some ways, did the movies do Harry Potter justice? I would say I very rarely experience one where I've read the book first and then I see the movies, and it I, I really think, like, they did great. Um, Lord of the Rings is one of them where I feel like they really did genuinely pull it off. Uh, <laughs> Jess Brown says, I believe every movie based off a book is stupid. It is just, it's just so tough, you know? They're trying to tell a, they're trying to tell one type of story in a different format. It's, in, you know, in the same way that you wouldn't try to, um, you know, tell a video game story in a poem or like a novel story in a poem or, um, you know, like tell, tell a, uh, tell a book story in a song. It's just they're different formats. You know what I mean? Like you're you're trying to ex you express things in different ways. Um, ooh, Tuna says Polar Express the movie was greatest of all time. Um, and I think I mean I have not read the Polar Express book. I wasn't even aware that it was. But uh, <laughs> Gwen Dog says I gotta say I watched The Shining the other day, not for the first time, and thought how flat it really seemed. Yeah, there's something about taking advantage of. Um, uh, it's, it's a little bit like programming, right? Um, when, when you play a game, when you, when you download a game, you're downloading all these things. And, uh, then the, depending on where you go within that, the, the, the game will sort of piggyback off of those. You're, you're you know, you download a map. And so you've got this map already and your, uh, the game that you, as you're playing, it sort of takes advantage of that, that data from the map and sort of you know, just sort of uh, hijacks that that ability to to see everything. Much in the same way, I think a book sort of takes your own imagination and kind of piggybacks off of it, piggybacks off of the the, the picture that you create for yourself of all these things. And uh, I think it's one of the reasons why books are still so special. You know, it's, it's, it's in the same way that um, I, I don't think that video games will ever fully come to uh, to eliminate uh, tabletop role-playing games. In fact, there's been a resurgence in them. Um, I think we'll never be, like, we're never going to go from books entirely switching over to movies. Um, <laughs> Halfbit says, The Shining film isn't dynamic at all. The book, however, is full of dynamics. And uh, Mr. Halfbit, it's great to see you. Also, hi. <laughs> um, but uh, I want to... Uh, Emily Rose, fantastic. I'm so glad to hear it. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, but uh, yeah, seeing Mr. Halfbit pops up reminds me, uh, especially considering we are 
currently discussing tabletop RPGs in a tangential way. Um, those of you who have seen some of the things like Chat Plays Dungeon World or Kids on Bikes, you're probably wondering, like, what are these things? Uh, many of you have never had an experience with D&D or, you know, tabletop RPGs in general. You might be wondering, what is this and why does Sam care about them? And why is it on a channel where we're dedicated to telling stories? Well, here's what it is. I believe that some of the best stories being told right now, some of the best stories being told right now, are being told in tabletop RPGs. They are games that are designed to tell stories. At least that's how I use them. Um, Kids on Bikes is awesome, says Intikana. I am very glad you're enjoying them. Uh, if y'all want to see the, uh, the, the Session Zero that we did, it's currently on Twitch, and I'm releasing it in three parts every Saturday leading up to the night of Halloween. So, what's on Halloween? Well, uh, I like to announce these things first, especially on these these uh, Harry Potter streams, but um, on Halloween is the day we're actually going to be running that session. Uh, we are going to be playing a... It's called a one-shot, it's, so it's just sort of a... Uh, it's essentially like if a campaign is the TV show of this particular thing, then a one-shot is the movie. Um, we are going to be... Uh, going through this session, and it's going to be uh, a spooky little session um, in the same genre as uh, Stranger Things. Uh, but yeah, this game, Kids on Bikes, is designed to tell games in that uh, genre. Um, Dungeon World can be used to tell stories in the genre of things like uh, Lord of the Rings, that sort of thing. And uh, I'm using it to tell a story in a, a big magical metropolis, uh, maybe a tiny little bit steampunky. Um, and I hope that y'all will sort of dip your toes in, um, either to the Wednesday sessions or check out the session zero. We did a bunch of world building and character creation. Um, but yeah, the, the, for those of you who have just wondered, like, what are all these things? Tabletop RPGs are storytelling games. There's no winner. There's no loser. It's just to tell a beautiful story. And I am so excited to do it. Folks, thank you very much for being here with me. Thanks for holding on for dear life as I just ramble through the various things that I'm working on. Um, and actually, the the fact that my AC was not on reminds me. I'm gonna go. I'll be bit, like I'll literally be gone less than ten seconds. I have to go turn on the the fan that keeps my router from overheating, so we don't crash like we did last week. Although I'm not entirely sure what that one was about. Here we go. Ten, Two. One. That's right, I did it. Um, although I did say less than 10 seconds, didn't I? Alright, give me an asterisk, Frizz. Um, I really scared Blue, by the way. Sorry, Blue Boy. <laughs> I gotta count myself down, otherwise y'all are gonna do it. <laughs> yep, Iro, there we go. Um, Gwyndog says it's kind of like choose your own adventure. Yes, but better. And I do mean that literally. Um, I would say like a choose your own adventure is sort of the the uh, the, the slightly more stale, too rigid version. Um, if you want to really see a dynamic story that reacts to the ways that we we behave in it, um, check out tabletop RPGs. I would even like I'll, I'll do a short video on like what's what are tabletop RPGs and why should I care? Um, and I think. Uh, Maybe that will clear things up. But yes, I would say choose your own adventure, Gwendog, might be a good way to put it, except that um, uh, it's much more dynamic and much more... Uh, those always, to me, feel like they're they're great for adventuring, not great for conveying a, a meaningful and impactful story. You know, it doesn't often deal with growth of characters and such. Um, but tabletop RPGs definitely can. So, y'all go check those out, because I'm super excited about it. Um, Let's see, I think that is most of what we should talk about. Um, I guess I'll just...
put this back up on screen. We've got our sidecar October road trip. This is what we're doing for this month. Uh, you can see that on Tuesdays, of course, we are hitting Harry Potter Minecraft. We started that on Tuesday, and next Tuesday we'll be starting with um, the very first thing we're going to do is the sorting session. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting down with a sorting hat, and we're going to find out where does Sam actually belong. So... Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, Jess says, okay, Sam, we all agree you must do an animated series, Harry Potter, and be the voices. Folks, I would love it. The more I work on um, these... Uh uh, the sidecar snooze ones. Uh, well, hold on. Sorry, let me get through this first, and then I'll get to it. Y'all got me on a tangent, Jess. Jess Brown. Um, <laughs> uh, so you can see on Tuesdays, we've got Minecraft uh, Harry Potter going up there. Uh, on Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, we are playing a series of games. We'll probably revisit them. And then, of course, you can see at the very lower right-hand corner, um, Saturday, the night of Halloween, that is the sidecar Halloween party. That is what we're going to be doing. Uh, I put it on there like that because I wasn't sure precisely what it would be at first. Uh, but now we know it's going to be Kids on Bikes, a spooky, scary PG-13. <coughs> so not PG, definitely not R. Um, but uh, somewhere nicely, nicely in that uh, Stranger Things kind of category. Um, and uh, I hope that you all come check this out. Go ahead and screen cap this. Uh, and if you're looking for it later, uh, I'm going to have it on screen here for 10 more seconds. Then it's going to disappear. So screen cap it. Uh, thank you for all the blessings. Um, and then uh, we are. you can go ahead and find this in the Discord if you need it again later. So with that, let's talk review for our last chapter. Um, uh, but just Brown says, <laughs> yeah, we, you need to do an, we need to do an animated series for Harry Potter. Now, Sam is not, uh, not a particularly talented visual artist, at least not in a way that can contribute to this. I do some sketching stuff that some folks have enjoyed, but, um, this is not my bag. Uh, for any of you illustrators and animators, if you put together anything, and I mean anything, um... Uh, this includes you, Jer, who uh, Jefferson was talking about a, a short film um, where I think the lead character is a piece of toast. I am genuinely very interested in doing more, uh, sort of having my voice on top of more things and getting a little better on the post-production side with my with uh, audacity and such. So, if you make things, I will voice them, and I mean that. I mean that very literally. I'm I'm catching up on it's a, it's a learning curve, but I'm getting faster now um, with the. Uh, the editing process of um, uh, uh, Sidecar Snooze, and I would love to do more of it and uh, in more various ways. But yeah, having my, I mean, that's kind of a bucket list thing for me, like having having my voice on some sort of animated something or other, would be glorious. All right, now let's talk review. Let's talk review, because uh, we're about to go into our next chapter. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, my name is Sam, this is Sidecar Stories, and tonight, Thursday nights, vintage sidecar. Nope, that's Tuesdays. Uh, tonight is flying sidecar. Uh, it is a voice actor's venture through, through some books that we all love. Um, and currently, uh, we have just the uh, we have just done uh, chapter eighteen, the life and lies of Albus Dumbledore, in which largely Harry and Hermione simply read the book. Uh, yeah, like Rubik says, the life and lies of Albus Dumbledore, and discover Dumbledore's connection with Gellert Grindelwald. A juicy memoir, says Mirrodin. <laughs> um, the uh, this memoir, it's it's a uh, uh, it is a biography mm, by uh, 
Rita Skeeter. And while we don't know what things are true, Harry kind of wants to believe the worst of Dumbledore right now because of the position that Dumbledore has put him in, right? Harry knows, Harry's known for a while, he doesn't know the truth. He doesn't know the whole truth. He doesn't know nothing but the truth. I'm sorry. Um, and as he is trying to go on this terrifying uh, quest here, uh, he is starting to believe that Dumbledore hasn't told him much, and so he is just chomping onto any opportunity to hear something that might be true. Especially if it's got some sort of proof, like this letter that Albus sent to uh, Gellert, that Dumbledore sent to Grindelwald. That included language like uh, for the greater good, which would eventually become Gellert Grindelwald's slogan and be used to justify all sorts of heinous magical deeds. Harry is angry. He's furious that Dumbledore would tell these things to someone who would become one of the most evil wizards of all time, but would not tell Harry. Hi, Bethy. You did not miss it all. No, we are just about to uh, embark on our second chapter. Everyone, thank you very much for being here. Um, we had one short chapter and one. this one's going to be slightly longer. So, folks, sit back, relax. Thank you for riding the sidecar today. Um, and I hope you're all having a great evening. Or morning, wherever you're at. Chapter 19. And for the VOD folks, I'm going to say that again because I just realized I'm not on the screen yet. Here we go. Chapter 19. The Silver Doe. It was snowing by the time Hermione took over the watch at midnight. Harry's dreams were confused and disturbing. Nagini wove in and out of them, first through a gigantic cracked ring and then through a wreath of Christmas roses. He woke repeatedly, panicky, convinced that somebody had called to him in the distance, imagining that the wind whipped around the tent, that it was footsteps or voices. Finally, he got up in the darkness and joined Hermione, who was huddled in the entrance of the tent reading A History of Magic by the light of her wand. The snow was still falling thickly, and she agreed with relief to his suggestion of packing up early and moving on. We'll go somewhere more sheltered, she agreed, shivering as she pulled on a sweatshirt over her pajamas. I kept thinking that I could hear people moving outside. I even thought I saw somebody once or twice. <laughs> okay, I don't know what's going on. Oh, Jess Brown, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Look at you, keeping all these folks, keeping all these folks safe from the ads that I'm, I have to run now. <sighs> anyway. I do appreciate it, Jess. We'll go somewhere more sheltered, she agreed, shivering as she pulled on a sweatshirt over her pajamas. I kept thinking I could hear someone moving outside, even though I thought I saw someone once or twice. I even thought I saw somebody. You got me all distracted. Harry paused in the act of pulling on a jumper and glanced at the silent, motionless sneakoscope on the table. I'm sure that I imagined it, said Hermione, looking nervous. The snow in the dark, it, it, it plays tricks on your eyes. P perhaps we ought to 
to separate under the invisibility cloak, just in case. Half an hour later, with the tent packed, Harry was wearing the horcrux and Hermione clutched the beaded bag, and they disapparated. The usual tightness engulfed them. Harry's feet parted company with the snowy ground and slammed hard into what felt at first like frozen earth covered with leaves. Where are we? he asked, peering around at a fresh mass of trees as Hermione opened a beaded bag and began tugging out tent poles. The forest of Dean, she said. I came camping here with my mum and dad. Here, too, snow lay on the trees all around, and it was bitterly cold, but they were at least protected from the wind. They spent most of the day inside the tent, huddled for warmth around the useful bright blue flames that Hermione was so adept at producing, and which could be scooped up and carried around in a jar. Harry felt as though he were recuperating from some brief but severe illness, an impression reinforced by Hermione's solicitousness. That afternoon... Fresh flakes drifted down upon them, so that even their sheltered clearing had a fresh dusting of powdery snow. After two nights of little sleep, Harry's senses seemed more alert than usual. Their escape from Godric's Hollow had been so narrow that Voldemort seemed somehow closer than before, more threatening. As darkness drew in again, Harry refused Hermione's offer to keep watch and told her to go to bed. Harry moved an old cushion into the tent mouth and sat down, wearing all the sweaters he owned, but even so, still shivery. The darkness deepened with the passing hours, until it was virtually impenetrable. He was on the point of taking out the Marauder's Map so as to watch Ginny's dot for a while, before he remembered that it was Christmas, it was the holidays, and she would be back at the burrow. Every tiny movement seemed magnified in the vastness of the forest. Harry knew that it must be full of living things, but he wished that they would all remain still and silent so he could separate their innocent scurryings and prowlings from noises that might proclaim other sinister movements. He remembered the sound of a cloak slithering over dead leaves many years ago, and at once thought he heard it again before mentally shaking himself. Their protective enchantments had worked for weeks. Why should they break now? And yet, he could not throw off the feeling that something was different tonight. Several times he jerked upright, his neck aching because he had fallen asleep, slumped at an awkward angle against the side of the tent. The night reached such a depth of velvety blackness that he might have been suspended in limbo between apparition and disapparition. He just held up a hand in front of his face to see whether he could make out his fingers when it happened. A bright silver light appeared right ahead of him, moving through the trees. Whatever the source, it was moving soundlessly. The light seemed to drift toward him. He jumped to his feet, his voice frozen in his throat, and raised Hermione's wand. He screwed up his eyes as the light became blinding, the trees in front of it pitch black in silhouette, and still the thing came closer. And then the source of the light stepped out from behind an oak. It was a silver-white doe, moon-bright and dazzling, picking her way over the ground, still silent, 
and leaving no hoof prints in the fine powdering of snow. She stepped toward him, her beautiful head with its long, wide eyelashes. Wait, what? Let's try that again. She stepped toward him, her beautiful head with its wide, long-lashed eyes held high. Harry stared at the creature, filled with wonder, not at her strangeness, but at her inexplicable familiarity. He felt that he had been waiting for her to come, but that he had forgotten until this moment when they had arranged to meet. His impulse to shout for Hermione, which had been so strong a moment ago, had gone. He knew he would have staked his life on it, that she had come for him and him alone. They gazed at each other for several long moments, and then she turned and walked away. No, he said, and his voice was cracked with lack of use. Come back. She continued to step deliberately through the trees, and soon her brightness was striped by their thick black trunks. For one trembling second he hesitated. Caution murmured that it could be a trick, a lure, a trap. But instinct, overwhelming instinct, told him that this was not dark magic. He set off in pursuit. Snow crunched beneath his feet, but the doe made no noise as she passed through the trees, for she was nothing but light. Deeper and deeper into the forest she led him, and Harry walked quickly, sure that when she stopped she would not allow him, oh, excuse me, she would allow him to approach her properly. And then she would speak, and the voice would tell him what he needed to know. At last, she came to a halt. She turned her beautiful head toward him once more, and he broke into a run, a question burning in him, but as he opened his lips to ask it, she vanished. Though the darkness had swallowed her whole, her burnished image was still imprinted on his retinas. It obscured his vision, brightening when he lowered his eyelids, disorienting him. Now fear came. Her presence had meant safety. Lumos, he whispered, and the wand tip ignited. The imprint of the doe faded away with every blink of the eye as he stood there, listening to the sounds of the forest, to distant crackles of twigs, soft swishes of snow. Was he about to be attacked? Had she enticed him into an ambush? Was he suddenly imagining that somebody stood beyond the reach of the wand light watching him? He held the wand higher. Nobody ran out at him. No flash of green light burst from the trees. Why, then, had she led him to this spot? Something gleamed in the light of the wand, and Harry spun about, but all that there was was a small, frozen pool, its cracked black surface glimmering as he raised the wand higher to examine it. He moved forward rather cautiously and looked down. The ice reflected his distorted shadow in the beam of wand light, but deep below the thick, misty gray carapace, something else glinted. 
a great silver cross. His heart skipped into his mouth. He dropped to his knees at the pool's edge and angled the wand so as to flood the bottom of the pool with as much light as possible. A glint of deep red. It was a sword with glittering rubies at its hilt. The sword of Gryffindor was lying at the bottom of the forest pool. Barely breathing, he stared down at it. How was this possible? How could it have come to be lying in a forest pool, this close to the place where they were camping? Had some unknown magic drawn Hermione to this spot, or was the doe, which he had taken to be a Patronus, some kind of guardian of the pool? Or had the sword been put into the pool after they had arrived, precisely because they were here? In which case, where was the person who had wanted to pass it to Harry? Again, he directed the wand at the surrounding trees and bushes, searching for a human outline, for the glint of an eye. But he could not see anyone there. All the same, a little more fear leavened his exhilaration as he returned his attention to the sword reposing in the bottom of the frozen pool. He pointed his wand at the silvery shape and murmured, Akio sword! It did not stir. He had not expected it to. If it had been that easy, the sword would have lain on the ground for him to pick up, not in the depths of a frozen pool. He set off around the circle of ice, thinking hard about the last time the sword had delivered itself to him. He had been in terrible danger then, and had asked for help. Help, he murmured, but the sword remained upon the pool bottom, indifferent, motionless. What was it, Harry asked himself, walking again, that Dumbledore had told him the last time he had retrieved the sword? Only a true Gryffindor could have pulled that out of the hat? And what were the qualities that defined a Gryffindor? A small voice inside Harry's head answered him. Their daring, nerve, and chivalry set Gryffindors apart. Harry stopped walking and let out a long sigh, his smoky breath dispersing rapidly upon the frozen air. He knew what he had to do. If he was honest with himself, he had thought it might come to this from the moment he had spotted the sword through the ice. He glanced around at the surrounding trees again, but was convinced now that nobody was going to attack him. They had had their chance as he walked alone through the forest, had had plenty of opportunity as he examined the pool. The only reason to delay at this point was because the immediate prospect was so deeply uninviting. With fumbling fingers, Harry started to remove his many layers of clothing. Where chivalry entered into this, he thought ruefully, he was not entirely sure, unless it counted as chivalrous that he was not calling for Hermione to do it in his stead. An owl hooted somewhere as he stripped off, and he thought with a pang of Hedwig. He was shivering now, his teeth chattering horribly, and yet he continued to strip off until, at last, he stood there in his underwear, barefooted in the snow. He placed the pouch containing the wand, his mother's letter, the shard of Sirius's mirror, and the old snitch on top of his clothes, and he pointed Hermione's wand at the ice. Defender! It cracked with a sound like a bullet in the silence. The surface of the pool broke, and chunks of dark ice rocked in the ruffled 
waters. As far as Harry could judge, it was not deep, but to retrieve the sword he would have to submerge himself completely. Contemplating the task ahead would not make it easier, or the water warmer. He stepped to the pool's edge and placed Hermione's wand on the ground, still lit. Then, trying not to imagine how much colder he was about to become or how violently he would soon be shivering, he jumped. Every pore of his body screamed in protest. The very air in his lungs seemed to freeze solid as he was submerged to his shoulders in the frozen water. He could hardly breathe. Trembling so violently that the water lapped over the edges of the pool, he felt for the blade with his numb feet. He only wanted to dive once. Harry put off the moment of total submersion from second to second, gasping and shaking until he told himself that it must be done, gathered all of his courage, and dived. The cold was agony. It attacked him like fire. His brain itself seemed to have frozen as he pushed his way through the dark water to the bottom and reached out, groping for the sword. His fingers closed around the hilt, and he pulled it upward. And then something closed tight around his neck. He thought of water weeds, though nothing had brushed into him as he dived and raised his empty hand to free himself. It was not a weed. The chain of the horcrux had tightened and was slowly constricting his windpipe. Harry kicked out wildly, trying to push himself back to the surface, but merely propelled himself into the side of the pool. Thrashing, suffocating, he scrabbled at the strangling chain, his frozen fingers unable to loosen it, and now little lights were popping inside his head. And he was going to drown, and there was nothing left. Nothing he could do and the arms that closed around his chest were surely deaths. Choking and retching, soaking and colder than he had ever been in his life, he came to face down in the snow. Somewhere close by, another person was panting and coughing and staggering around. Hermione had come again, as she had come when the snake attacked, and yet... It did not sound like her, not with those deep coughs, not judging by the weight of the footsteps. Harry had no strength to lift his head to see his savior's identity. All he could do was raise a shaking hand to his throat and feel the place where the locket had cut tightly into his flesh. It was gone. Someone had cut him free, and then a panting voice spoke from over his head. Oh, are you mental? Nothing but the shock of hearing that voice could have given Harry the strength to stand up. Shivering violently, he staggered to his feet. There, before him, stood Ron. Fully dressed but drenched to the skin, his hair plastered to his face and the sword of Gryffindor in one hand and the horcrux dangling from its broken chain in the other. Oh, why the hell? panted Ron, holding up the horcrux, which swung backward and forward on its shortening chain in some parody of hypnosis. Why didn't you take this thing off before you dive down? Harry could not answer. The silver doe was nothing. Nothing compared to Ron's reappearance. He could not believe it. 
Shuddering with cold, he caught up the pile of clothes still lying at the water's edge and began to put them on. As he dragged sweater after sweater over his head, Harry stared at Ron, half expecting him to have disappeared every time he lost sight of him, and yet he had to be real. He had just dived into the pool. He had saved Harry's life. It was you... Harry said at last, his teeth chattering, his voice weaker than usual due to near strangulation. Well, yeah, said Ron, looking slightly confused. You cast that dough? What? No, of course not. I, I thought that was you doing it. My Patronus is a stag. Oh, yeah, I, th I thought that it looked different. There's no antlers. Ron put Hagrid's pouch back around his neck, pulled on a final sweater, stooped to pick up Hermione's wand, and faced Ron again. How come you're here? Apparently Ron had hoped at this point would come up later, if at all. Well, I've... You know, I, I, I've come back if... <clears throat> he cleared his throat. You know, if, uh... If you, if you still want me. There was a pause in which the subject of Ron's departure seemed to rise like a wall between them. Yet, he was here. He had returned. He had just saved Harry's life. Ron looked down at his hands. He seemed momentarily surprised to see the things that he was holding. Oh, yeah, I got it out, he said, rather unnecessarily holding up the sword for Harry's inspection. That is why you jumped in, right? Yeah, said Harry. But I don't understand. How did you how did you get here? How did you find us? Well, that's a long story, said Ron. I've been looking for you for hours. It's a big forest, isn't it? And I was just thinking I'd have to have a kip under a tree and wait for morning when I saw that deer coming and you followed. You didn't see anyone else? No said Ron, uh, but he hesitated, glancing at two trees growing close together some yards away. But I, th I think I saw something move over there. But I was running to the pool at the time because you'd gone in and you hadn't come up, so I wasn't going to make a detour to... Hey! Harry was already hurrying to the place where Ron had indicated. The two oak trunks grew close together. There was a gap of only a few inches between the trunks at eye level, an ideal place to see, but not be seen. The ground around the roots, however, was free of snow, and Harry could see no footprints. He walked back to where Ron stood waiting, still holding the sword and the horcrux. Anything there? Ron asked. No, said Harry. So how did the sword get in that pool? Whoever cast the Patronus must have put it in there. They both looked at the ornate silver sword, its rubied hilt glinting a little in the light from Hermione's wand. You reckon that this is the real one? asked Ron. One way to find out, isn't there? said Harry. The Horcrux was still swinging from Ron's hand. The locket was twitching slightly. Harry knew that the thing inside was agitated again. It had sensed the presence of the sword and had tried to kill Harry rather than let him possess it. 
Now was not the time for long discussions. Now was the moment to destroy the locket once and for all. Harry looked around, holding Hermione's wand high and saw the place. A flattish rock lying in the shadow of a sycamore tree. Come here, he said, and he led the way, brushed snow from the rock's surface, and held out his hand for the horcrux. When Ron offered the sword, however, Harry shook his head. No, you should do it. M me said Ron, looking shocked. Why? Because you got the sword out of the pool. I think it's supposed to be you. He was not being kind or generous. As certainly as he had known that the doe was benign, he knew that Ron had to be the one to wield the sword. Dumbledore had at least taught Harry something about certain kinds of magic, or the incalculable power of certain acts. I'm going to open it, said Harry, and you stab it, straight away, okay? Because whatever's in there will put up a fight. The bit of riddle in the diary tried to kill me. Oh... Are you going to open it? asked Ron. He looked terrified. I'm going to ask it to open, using parcel tongue, said Harry. The answer seemed so ready on his lips that he thought he had always known it deep down. Perhaps it had taken his recent encounter with Nagini to make him realize. He looked at the serpentine S, inlaid with glittering green stones. It was easy to visualize it as a minuscule as a minuscule snake curled up upon the cold rock. No, said Ron. No, don't, don't open it. I'm serious. Why not? asked Harry. Let's get rid of the damn thing. It's been months. I can't, Harry. I'm serious. You do it. But why? Because that thing is bad for me, said Ron, backing away from the locket on the rock. I can't, I can't handle it. I'm not making excuses, Harry, for what, for what I was like, but it affects me worse than it affected you and Hermione. It made me think stuff, stuff that I, I was thinking anyway, but it made everything worse. I can't explain it. And then I take it off, I get my head on straight again. I don't have to pull the effing thing back on. I can't do it, Harry. He had backed away, the sword dragging at his side, shaking his head. You can do it, said Harry. You can. You've just got the sword. I know it's supposed to be you who uses it. Please, just get rid of it, Ron. The sound of his name seemed to act like a stimulant. Ron swallowed. Then, still breathing hard through his long nose, moved back toward the rock. You tell me when, he croaked. On three, said Harry looking back down at the locket and narrowing his eyes, concentrating on the letter S, imagining a serpent, while the contents of the locket rattled like a trapped cockroach. It would have been easy to pity it, except that the cut around Harry's neck still burned. One, two, three, open! The last word came out as a hiss and a snarl, and the golden doors of the locket swung wide with a little click. Behind both of the glass windows within blinked a living eye, dark and handsome as Tom Riddle's eyes had been before he turned them scarlet and slit-pupiled. Stab! 
said Harry, holding the locket steady on the rock. Ron raised the sword in his shaking hands. The point dangled over the frantically swiveling eyes, and Harry gripped the locket tightly, bracing himself, already imagining blood pouring from the empty windows. Then a voice hissed out from the horcrux. I have seen your heart, and it is mine. Don't listen to it, Harry said harshly. Stab it! I have seen your dreams, Ronald Weasley, and I have seen your fears. All you desire is possible, but all that you dread is also possible. Stab! shouted Harry. His voice echoed off the surrounding trees. The sword point trembled, and Ron gazed down into the riddle's eyes. Least loved always by the mother who craved a daughter. Least loved now by the girl who prefers your friend. Second best always eternally overshadowed. Ron, stab it now! Harry bellowed. He could feel the locket quivering in his grip and was so scared of what was coming. Ron raised the sword still higher, and as he did so, Riddle's eyes gleamed scarlet. Out of the locket's two windows, out of the eyes, there bloomed like two grotesque bubbles the heads of Harry and Hermione, weirdly distorted. Ron yelled in shock and backed away as the figures blossomed out of the locket. First chests, then waists, then legs. Until they stood in the locket, side by side like trees with a common root, swaying over Ron and the real Harry, who snatched his fingers away from the locket as it burned suddenly white-hot. "'Ron!' he shouted, but the riddle Harry was now speaking with Voldemort's voice, and Ron was gazing, mesmerized, into its face. "'Why return? We were better without you, happier without you, glad of your absence. We laughed at your stupidity, your cowardice, your presumption.' "'Presumption!' echoed the riddle Hermione, who was more beautiful and yet more terrible than the real Hermione. She swayed, cackling before Ron, who looked horrified and yet transfixed, the sword hanging pointlessly at his side. Who could look at you? Who would ever look at you? Beside Harry Potter. What have you ever done compared with the Chosen One? What are you compared with the boy who lived? Ron! Stab it! Stab it! Harry yelled, but Ron did not move. His eyes were wide, and the riddle Harry and the riddle Hermione were reflected in them, their hair swirling like flames, their eyes shining red, their voices lifted in an evil duet. Your mother confessed, sneered Riddle Harry, while Riddle Hermione jeered, that you would have preferred me as a son, would be glad to exchange. Who wouldn't prefer him? What woman would take you? You are nothing, nothing to him, crooned Riddle Hermione, and she stretched like a snake, 
and entwined herself around Riddle Harry, wrapping him in a close embrace. Their lips met. On the ground in front of them, Ron's face filled with anguish. He raised the sword high, his arms shaking. Do it, Ron! Harry yelled. Ron looked toward him, and Harry thought he saw a trace of scarlet in his eyes. Ron! The sword flashed, plunged. Harry threw himself out of the way. There was a clang of metal and a long, drawn-out scream. Harry whirled around, slipping in the snow, wand held ready to defend himself, but there was nothing to fight. The monstrous versions of himself and Hermione were gone. There was only Ron, standing there with the sword held slackly in his hand, looking down at the shattered remains of the locket on the flat rock. Slowly, Harry walked back to him, hardly knowing what to say or do. Ron was breathing heavily. His eyes were no longer red at all, but their normal blue. They were also wet. Harry stooped, pretending he had not seen, and picked up the broken horcrux. Ron had pierced the glass in both windows. Riddle's eyes were gone, and the stained silk lining the locket was smoking slightly. The thing that had lived in the horcrux had vanished. Torturing Ron had been its final act. The sword clanged as Ron dropped it. He had sunk to his knees, his head in his arms. He was shaking, but not, Harry realized, from cold. Harry crammed the broken locket into his pocket, knelt down beside Ron and placed a hand cautiously on his shoulder. He took it as a good sign that Ron did not throw it off. After you left, he said in a low voice, grateful for the fact that Ron's face was hidden. She cried for a week. Probably longer, only she didn't want me to see. There were loads of nights when we never even spoke to each other. With you gone, he could not finish. It was only now that Ron was here again, and Harry fully realized how much his absence had cost them. She's like my sister, he went on. I love her like a sister, and I reckon she feels the same way about me. It's always been like that. I thought that you knew. Ron did not respond, but turned his face away from Harry and wiped his nose noisily on his sleeve. Harry got back to his feet again and walked to where Ron's enormous rucksack lay a few yards away discarded as Ron had run to the pool to save Harry from drowning. He hoisted onto his own back and walked back to Harry, who clamored to his feet as Harry approached, eyes bloodshot but otherwise composed. I'm sorry, he said in a thick voice. I'm sorry that I left. I know. I was a... Uh, he looked around at the darkness, as if hoping a bad enough word would swoop down upon him and claim him. You've sort of made up for it tonight, said Harry. Getting the sword, finishing off the Horcrux, saving my life. 
That makes me sound a lot cooler than I was, Ron mumbled. Stuff like that always sounds cooler than it really was, said Harry. I've been trying to tell you that for years. Simultaneously, they walked forward and hugged, Harry gripping the still sopping back of Ron's jacket. And now, said Harry as they broke apart, all we've got to do is find the tent again. Chatter break. Back to the library we go. I knew I needed to get at least one chatter break in here because they're not marked as well as I remembered them being. But uh, hey, that's all right. We got a good spot. Uh, let me highlight this so that I know where to come back to. Uh, there we go. I'll do that one. Still not going to know what uh, what image I should be going back to, but that is all right. Tenacious says their friendship. Aww. And Ashmore, thank you very much for those bits. I appreciate it. Uh, folks, a little quick chatter chapter break, chatter break. I knew I shouldn't have done something like try to be linguistically sneaky, but here I am. I done the bad deed. Here we are. We're going to have to live with it. So yeah, Ashmore says so much love. Jem says that was sweet. Yeah, it is a tough moment. Um, uh, I think we can all probably look back at our lives and think of a moment where we've had to apologize for something genuinely bad that we did. You know, not something like, you know, I, I, it, not even something like, you know, I accidentally got into a fender bender with you on, on the road or something like that. You apologize for sort of knowing like I did it. It was an accident. And, you know, I, I am sorry for what happened. But this is different, right? Ron made a choice. Not just a choice, but a choice that opposed the choice he had made before. One that, you know, the, the first choice was made with preparation. It was made knowing what they were going to be facing, at least to some degree. Nitfa says this scene in the movie was so weird. Yeah, this, uh, I mean, this, this Horcrux, it is designed, uh, well, I guess it's not designed to do this, is it? We know what Horcrux are designed to do. They're, they're designed to hold a part of the soul. So I think it's less that the Horcrux is designed to show you these things, but more that it is in Voldemort's nature to turn people against one another, right? It's in Voldemort's nature, the nature of this piece of soul that he has left in this locket. Um, it's in the nature of Voldemort's very soul to divide, to try and turn Ron against Harry is just a, um, a, a, a sort of reach from the locket, trying to clutch at Ron and drag him away from Harry. Much in the same way that it sort of mechanically tried to drag Harry away from the sword. And we can see this, right? I've said it before. I have... I've railed on about this sort of thing. Um, how easy it is for evil to divide good. Thanks, Memnet. I'm refilling now, actually. Um, how easy it is, because when, when you have a group of people or an individual like uh, Voldemort, um, who is driven by, uh, by selfishness, and unifies his followers with selfishness and with uh, fear of... Um, fear of the different, you know, um, with a, a sense of uh, f uh, undue pride and arrogance that you have some sort of something in your blood or something in your lineage that makes you somehow better than anyone else. Um, that's driven by that selfishness. That's an easy way to collect people. It is harder to be unified 
in goodness. It is more difficult. Um, uh, and we, we see that a lot. It's easy to divide people who want good because it's hard to arrive at that objective goodness. It's tough. A quick chatter break question. Um, and uh, I think I'm going to have to jump back into it before I can read too much into it. But uh, <laughs> I'm not quite sure what we're talking about with Shotzi. But uh, yeah, you probably should. Well, we're on the subject of apologies. Yes, you probably should. Um, Book and Hook says, it makes me think, if Voldy put these protective barriers on the Horcrux, does that mean he knew there was someone who was going to try and find and destroy the Horcruxes? Uh, I think it's very possible. And I want to talk a little bit about, uh, I think our Chatterbrite question is going to be kind of tangentially related to that. Um, these ways in which, uh, you know, evil is unified, right? Um, these, these methods uh, of preying on people's selfishness, on their desire to be more important than other people. Um, uh, what are the ways that you try to find unity with people that you disagree with? What are the ways in which, uh, and you can add onto that, what are the ways that we've seen folks in this, in these books uh, accomplish that? Um, because, you know, I think we can agree that, like, Harry and uh, people who, uh, people like, you know, Dumbledore, who have perhaps come away from things that they had in their past, um, we don't really know yet. But, uh, you know, perhaps people like... Um, uh, people like Victor Crumb, uh, who we know is opposed to all dark wizardry, um, and then people like Xenophilius Lovegood, who we have seen in the past like, was a, a voice for for Harry, in favor of Harry, um, and is currently one of the few newspapers printing the truth about Harry Potter. We would think that Victor Crumb and Xenophilius Lovegood would have to be aligned, right? But... No, they come from different positions, and so they are looking at this symbol uh, in different ways, and that is something that divides them. What are the ways that we can overcome that? There's our chatter break question. So uh, I'm going to be coming back to uh, your answers in just a moment here. For the, for the time being, I have to drink a lot of water because I'm a little burnt out. Jade Dragon says, uh, I think he would be scared Dumbledore would figure him out. Uh, yeah, and to kind of expand on that, Nitfa says, I think it was more of a paranoid mind. He wanted to be the most powerful wizard ever, so he wanted to make sure he did everything he could to not die. Um, this is a, uh, this is, I think, yeah, we, we see, the, this is where, where you get paid off when you decide to dedicate your life to this selfishness, to this pursuit of power over others. This is where you land. You, I mean, as long as our system in, as long as you believe and put trust in a system of the biggest, meanest dog wins, you are always going to be ruled by big, mean dogs. And you are always, even if you are a big, mean dog, you're always going to be afraid of a bigger, meaner dog. If you're building society on sort of the, uh, you know, power, uh, the, the power of strength, the power of, of violence, this is the only way that that pays out. Emily Rose says, I don't know what the first part of the chapter was, but the second chapter is so far about Harry and Ron getting the sword. Oh, that was from a little while ago. Oh, no, it wasn't. It's right here. Um, thank you so much for everything and make sure I was able to join y'all. I am glad you're doing well. Uh, I hope that, yeah, I hope y'all stay safe, Emily Rose. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I'm glad you're here. Oh, you're helping Kit. Gotcha. Oh, Cloud Kicker's here. Hi. Hi, Kit. How's it going? Um, 
Uh, Haleth, who I don't think I've seen that name, at least not in a while. So Haleth, hello. Um, I think when people realize they have more in common than they think, we can try to maintain supporting networks so that people can't be bullied individually. Uh, Memnite says, drop your preconceptions and have an intelligent conversation about what's dividing you. Uh, Shotzi says, I think it's one of those, I think this way, therefore everyone thinks this way. Uh, Jess Brown says, I still want to know why Voldemort has followers uh, with him being so evil. Most evil beings don't like followers. Tanisha says, this was uh, one of the only good parts of my day. So thanks, Sam. You're very welcome. Um, and yeah, Jess Brown, I think I think this is kind of what I, I mean. Like when you've got someone evil, they don't want friends they don't want they don't want uh genuine allies they just want people who can sufficiently i i've done a couple of projects writing about cults and um in cults i have found that the best way for someone to maintain a sense of uh, maintain power in a group is to give a another group a sort of middle tier of power um I, I have found that in the different explorations I've done, because I've been learning a lot about a, a, uh, an incident in the uh, Protestant Reformation in a town called Munster. Um, but essentially, with all of all of the common elements that I found include this system by which one person who wants to maintain a power over a big group at the bottom will install a middle group. They'll draw some people from that bottom group into a middle group that has some power. And those middle groups will protect that person up at the top at all costs. And I think Voldemort realizes this. If you give a small group some power, that small group will do everything that they can to maintain the top person's power over the bottom group. Something to keep an eye on. Okay. We've discussed this at length. Y'all keep talking about it in chat, but I'm going to go back and continue on our chapter. Let's see, is this where we're at here? Uh, no, just finished with that. Okay, here we go. It was not difficult. Though the walk through the dark forest with the doe had seemed lengthy, with Ron by his side, the journey back seemed to take a surprisingly short time. Harry could not wait to wake Hermione, and it was with quickening excitement that he entered the tent, Ron lagging a little behind him. It was gloriously warm after the pool and the forest, the only illumination, the bluebell flames still shimmering in a bowl on the floor. Excuse me. Hermione was fast asleep, curled up under her blankets, and did not move until Harry had said her name several times. Hermione! She stirred, then sat up quickly, pushing her hair out of her face. What's wrong, Harry? What's, are you all right? It's okay. Everything's fine. More than fine. I'm great. There's someone here. What do you mean? Who? She saw Ron, who stood there holding the sword and dripping onto the threadbare carpet. Harry backed into a shadowy corner, slipped off Ron's rucksack, and attempted to blend in with the canvas. Hermione slid out of her bunk and moved like a sleepwalker toward Ron, her eyes upon his pale face. She stopped right in front of him, her lips slightly parted, her eyes wide. Ron gave a weak, hopeful smile and half raised his arms. Hermione launched herself forward and started punching every inch of him she could reach. 
Ooh, ow, oh, oh, get off. Hey, what? Hermione. Ow. You complete ass, Ronald Weasley. She punctuated every word with a blow. Ron backed away, shielding his head as Hermione advanced. You crawl back here after weeks and weeks. Oh, where is my wand? She looked as though she were ready to wrestle it out of Harry's hands, and he, re he reacted instinctively. Protego! The invisible shield erupted between Ron and Hermione. The force of it knocked her backward onto the floor. Spitting hair out of her mouth, she leapt up again. Hermione, said Harry. Calm. I will not calm down! She screamed. Never before had he seen her lose control like this. She looked quite demented. Give me back my wand! Give it back to me! Hermione, will you please? Don't you dare tell me what to do, Harry Potter! She screeched. Don't you dare give it back right now, and you! She pointed at Ron in dire ac accusation. It was like a malediction, and Harry could not blame Ron for retreating several steps. I came running after you! I called you! I begged you to come back! I know, Ron said. Hermione, I'm sorry. I'm really... Oh, you're sorry? She laughed. A high-pitched, out-of-control sound. Ron looked at Harry for help, but Harry merely grimaced in helplessness. You come back after weeks. Weeks! And you think it's all going to be all right if you say sorry? Well, what else can I say? Ron shouted, and Harry was glad that Ron was fighting back. Oh, I don't know, yelled Hermione with awful sarcasm. Rack your brains, Ron, that should only take a couple of seconds. Hermione interjected Harry, who considered this a low blow. He just saved my... I don't care, she screamed. I don't care what he's done. Weeks and weeks. We could have been dead for all he knew. I knew that you weren't dead, bellowed Ron, drowning her voice for the first time and approaching as close as he could with the shield charm between them. And he's been all over the prophet, all over the radio. They're looking for you everywhere. All these rumors and mental stories. I knew... I would hear it straight off if you were dead. I, I don't know. You don't know what it's been like. What it's been like for you? Her voice was now so shrill only bats would be able to hear it soon, but she had reached a level of indignation that rendered her temporarily speechless, and Ron seized this opportunity. I wanted to come back the minute that I disapparated, but I walked straight into a gang of snatchers, Amani. I couldn't go anywhere. A gang of what? asked Harry. As Harry threw herself, as Hermione threw herself down into a chair, with her arms and legs crossed so tightly it seemed unlikely she would unravel them for several years. Snatches, said Ron. They're everywhere. Gangs trying to earn gold by rounding up muggle-borns and blood traitors. There's a reward from the Ministry for everyone captured. I was on my own. I looked like I might be school-aged. They got really excited. Thought I was a muggle-born in hiding. I had to talk fast to get out to there without being dragged off to the ministry. What did you say to them? I told them I was Stan Shunpike. First person I could think of. And they believed that. They weren't the brightest. One of them was definitely part troll, the smell of him. Ron glanced at Hermione, clearly hopeful she might soften at this small instance of humor, but her expression remained stony above her tightly knotted limbs. Anyway, I had a row about whether I was Stan or not. It was a bit pathetic, to be honest. 
but there were still five of them and only one of me, and they had already taken my ones. Then two of them got in a fight while the other ones were distracted and I managed to hit the one holding me in the stomach, grabbed his wand and disapparated. The bloke disarmed the... Wait, what? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, gotcha, okay. I managed to hit the one holding me in the stomach, grabbed his wand, disarmed the bloke holding mine and disapparated. I didn't do it so well. Splinched myself again. Ron held up his right hand to show two missing fingernails. Hermione raised her eyebrows coldly. They came out miles from where you were. By the time I got out of there, that bit of the riverbank that we'd been on, you'd gone. Gosh, what a gripping story, Hermione said in the lofty voice she adopted when wishing to wound. You must have been simply terrified. Meanwhile, we went to Godric's Hollow and, let's think, what happened there, Harry? Oh, yes, you know who Snake turned up and nearly killed both of us, and then you know who himself arrived and missed us by about a second. What? Ron said, gasping. And gaping from her to Hermione. Gaping from her to Harry, but Hermione ignored him. Imagine losing fingernails, Harry. That really puts our suffering into perspective, doesn't it? Hermione, said Harry quietly. Ron just saved my life. She appeared not to have heard him. One thing that I would like to know, though, she said, fixing her eyes on a spot a foot over Ron's head. How exactly did you find us tonight? That's important. Once we know, we'll be able to make sure that we're not visited by anyone else that we don't want to see. Ron glared at her, then pulled a small silver object from his jeans pocket. This. She had to look at Ron to see what he was showing them. The Deluminator? she asked, so surprised she forgot to look cold and fierce. It doesn't just turn the lights on enough, said Ron. I don't know how it works, or why it happened then, or, you know, why not any other time? Because I've been wanting to come back ever since I left. But I was listening to the radio really early on Christmas morning, and I heard, I heard you. He was looking at Hermione. You heard me on the radio? She asked incredulously. No, I heard you coming out of my pocket. Your voice. He held up the deluminator again. Came out with this. And what exactly did I say? Asked Hermione, her tone somewhere between skepticism and curiosity. My name. Ron. And you said something about a wand. Hermione turned a fiery shade of scarlet. Harry remembered it. It had been the first time Ron's name had been said aloud by either of them since the day he had left. Hermione had mentioned it when talking about repairing Harry's wand. So I took it out, Ron went on, looking at the deluminator, and it didn't seem any different or anything, but I was sure that I heard you. So I clicked it, and the light went out in my room, but another light appeared right outside the window. Ron raised his empty hand and pointed out in front of him, his eyes focused on something neither Harry nor Hermione could see. It was a ball of light, kind of pulsing and, and bluish like that light that you get around the pokey, you know? Yeah, said Harry and Hermione together automatically. I knew this was it, said Ron. I grabbed my stuff and packed it. Then I put on my rucksack, went out into the garden. The little ball of light was over in there. 
waiting for me. And when I came out, it bobbed along a bit and I followed from behind the shed. And then it, it went inside of me. What? said Harry, sure that he had not heard correctly. It sort of floated toward me, said Ron, illustrating the movement with his free index finger, right to my chest, and then it just went straight through. It was here, he touched a point close to his heart. I could feel it, it was hot, and once it was inside me, I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew that it would take me where I needed to go, so I disapparated, came out on the side of a hill. There was snow everywhere. We were there, said Harry. We spent two nights there, and the second night I kept thinking I could hear someone moving around in the dark and calling out. Yeah, well, that would have been me, said Ron. Your protective spells work, anyway, because I couldn't see you and I couldn't hear you. I was sure that you were around, though, so in the end I I got my sleeping bag, waited for one of you to appear. I thought that you have to show yourselves when you pack the tent. No, actually, said Hermione. We've been disapparating under the invisibility cloak as an extra precaution, and we left really early because, as Harry says, he'd heard someone moving around, blundering in the woods. Well, I stayed on that hill all day, said Ron. I kept hoping that you'd appear, but when it started to get dark, I knew that I must have missed you. So I clicked the deluminator again, the blue light came out, went inside me, and I disapparated and arrived here in these woods. I still couldn't see you, so I just had to hope that one of you would show yourselves in the end. And Harry did. Well, I saw the door first, obviously. You saw the what? said Hermione sharply. They explained what had happened. And as the story of the silver doe and the sword in the pool unfolded, Hermione frowned from one to the other of them, concentrating so hard she forgot to keep her limbs locked together. But it must have been a Patronus she said. Couldn't you see who was casting it? Didn't you see anyone? And it led you to the sword. I can't believe this. Then what happened? Ron explained how he had watched Harry jump into the pool and had waited for him to resurface. How he had realized that something was wrong. Dived in and saved Harry and then returned for the sword. He got as far as the opening of the locket then hesitated and Harry cut in. And Ron stabbed it with the sword. And it it went, just like that, she whispered. Well, it it screamed, said Harry, with a half-glance at Ron. Here. He threw the locket into her lap. Gingerly, she picked it up and examined its punctured windows. Deciding that it was safe at last to do so, Harry removed the shield charm with a wave of Hermione's wand and turned to Ron. Did you just say that you got away from the Snatchers with a spare wand? What? said Ron, who'd been watching Hermione examining the locket. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. He tugged open a buckle on his rucksack and pulled a short, dark wand out of his pocket. Here. I figured it's always handy to have a backup. You were right, said Harry, holding out his wand. Mine's broken. You're, you're kidding, Ron said. But at that moment, Hermione got to her feet and looked apprehensive again. Oh, excuse me. He looked apprehensive again. Hermione put the vanished Horcrux... Hmm. Here we go, folks. It's beginning. Hermione put the vanquished Horcrux into the beaded bag, then climbed back into her bed and settled down without another word.
Ron passed Harry the new wand. About the best that you could hope for, I think, murmured Harry. Yeah, said Ron. Could have been worse. You remember those birds that she set on me? I still haven't ruled it out, came Hermione's muffled voice from beneath her blankets, but Harry saw Ron smiling slightly as he pulled his maroon pajamas out of his rucksack. And that is the end of our chapter. Everyone, I want to thank you all very much for being here. Those of you who have been with us before know what time it is. Uh, as a matter of fact, let's head there now. I guess that's the new theme song for Bad Beans, but there you go, folks. That was a nice note to end on. Finally, Tanisha. Yeah, Tanisha says that was a nice note to end on. And this was one of the few... Yeah, gems, exactly. It was one of the few chapters we've had in a long while that has ended well. Um, folks, for those of you who don't know what this is, hello, welcome. My name is Sam, and this is Sidecar Stories. Tonight, every Thursday night, is Flying Sidecar. It is a voice actor's venture through some books that we all love. And in fact, tonight we are reading Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. We have, uh, we've made it quite a, quite a ways through this. We are approaching, uh, next week, we're going to be on chapter 20 of the last book in this series. Can y'all believe that? <laughs> y'all are y'all are getting to brewing already. Shotzi, Ashmore, Memnite, uh, Jay Dragon, folks. Thank you very much uh, for everyone. <laughs> it's already boiling over. Oh my lord, uh, Jazzy. Thank you for the reminder. Um, Lisa says it's kind of sad. Uh, it is. It's a little rough for me to be able to see like the end of this series coming up. And a lot of you don't have the same sort of reassurance that I do because um, you have not been looking at and practicing the voices and such for our next series, which is going to be the Percy Jackson series. Um, that's right. We are starting that one pretty soon. Uh, Witch Hazel is wondering how many chapters are in this book. And the answer is 37, but the 37th, the final chapter is really short. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that got tacked onto the final. Th uh, we might do it like a three chapter week for that one, perhaps. Um, and Nitfa says, ending these books always leaves a hole, and you are absolutely correct. <laughs> Lord, you're just piling it on, everyone. Um, everyone, I really appreciate all of your generosity. Um, uh, it is... <laughs> It has made, uh, I don't know, it's been really encouraging, honestly, to see that folks are this excited to just pour all these uh, these beautiful um, rainbow hearts on. Um, uh, so, like, 15 weeks, says Witch Hazel? I don't think so. I think it's going to be much shorter than that. Uh, I would say we are looking at, because uh, remember, we do two every week. Good night, Doom Rider. Have a good one. Jess Brown, thank you very much. <laughs> y'all are y'all are y'all are doing a great job brewing tonight i appreciate it ashmore thank you uh tonight we're doing bad beans and we've got some extra ones uh, uh as a matter of fact ashmore uh thank you very much for those uh those fantastic pride flags and i will add with that thank you very much you got an extra bean for this week because uh ashmore has been probably one of my one of my bigger voices on twitter uh in addition to lisa hall so we're going to need a bigger cauldron, says Tuna. Yeah, I can expand the size, like, I can expand the size of the whole sort of element, but the size of the, the bits relative to the, the container is constant. So, folks, you're doing a great job. Uh, Witch Hazel, have a great night. 
fantastic. And Ashmore has kicked off the hype train. And see, this is a good time for the hype train because I could talk about it. Um, uh, instead of having to like like watching it like slowly, the clock slowly tick by um, and uh, have to get distracted by reading. But folks, thank you very, very much. <laughs> here's I- Oh, here's these are from Iroh. Iroh, thank you. I appreciate it. What are these, beagles? Is that what I'm looking at? It's great because they all do look like beans. Emily Rose over in Discord says, it would be amazing to have a series about maybe the kids of the main characters or a continuation of them as grown-ups possibly with a new villain. New villains come up all the time. Uh, we've talked a little bit about, about this before on the channel. Uh, and Ashmore, thank you for the uh, for the uh, community gift. It went to Destroyer. <laughs> Again, I love that name. But uh, uh, thank you very much. You've continued the hype train and you have boiled over our cauldron. Well done. Um, what are we What are we making tonight, folks? What's the What potion are we making? What's in the <laughs> What's in the cauldron? What's in our big bean cauldron? Our big bad bean cauldron. A thank you, as usual, to Jade Hallett for uh, creating this, um, uh, who I'm pretty sure is not the same person. Yeah, Jade Dragon's a different person. Um, but uh, Jade Hallett, thank you very much. Um, you can find her tag over at the very bottom right corner. Y'all have made some fantastic stuff. Can I say thank you uh, specifically to all the folks who have created things? Um, if we get to, Tuna says, if we get to level five, will you eat another bean? Absolutely, I will. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Tuna Sunday is wondering about the uh, the hype train. Uh, currently, we're on level one. It looks like there are three minutes and 20 seconds, but yeah, I think level five, I think, is the highest. But yeah, I'll throw it on an extra bean. Why not? <laughs> it's a point that makes Sam read one more chapter. <laughs> I'll do another bean, um, although that's a good idea. Maybe, maybe to have it be an extra an extra chapter for the night. I would only be able to do it once, and honestly, I would probably have to move my schedule around. But uh, Jess Brown, thank you for the... Uh, all right, we're, we're already down one tier for the hype train. Well done, folks. Thank you. Um, and uh, that went to Barry Bethy. Barry Bethy's been around for a while. I think Barry Bethy deserves it. I'm glad. So thank you, Jess Brown. I appreciate that a ton. Um, <laughs> Jade Dragon, thank you. Uh, Jade Dragon... Uh, you've been around for a long time, uh, hanging out with, uh, Discord for a while. Well, that was the best way to listen. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, and, uh, then, uh, and Ashmore, thank you as well. I like, Ashmore likes to keep the thing topped off. Ashmore is sort of like the, the wizard that stirs, um, the, uh, or I should say the, 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 the mage, shall we go with, um, st- stirs the, yeah, cause, duh, Ashmore, <laughs> I know at least, anyway, I've, I've, I've seen your, your Twitter profile, so I'm going to guess probably which, um, but let me know if I, if I should correct that in some way, but the, the mage who likes to just like stir the pot, keep it full and other people come in and just dunk stuff like Jade Hallett or, uh, Jade Dragon. Oh, yo, yo. Yeah, I goofed Ash, uh, Ashmore, that's my bad, but what are those robots? Anyway, folks, I want to say thank you so much for all of this, um, all of, all of this support, because that's what this is, like this, this is support directly uh that that goes directly to me and helps me to uh spend more time editing and more time streaming so uh i am really appreciative of all of it and i want to say thank you to um the people who have created some things here um the people who have created things like uh, jade hallett here with the art um who have created the lo-fi sam picture which i love and i my one of my holy grails will be to get a pair of headphones that matches that exactly because uh, the colors are great on there um jess brown Thank you very much. Um, I I hope you have a great night. I'll see you. I'll see you later. But um, uh, yeah, people like uh, people like those folks who have created art for the channel. Um, people like uh, Shotzi and um, 
uh, Hogwarts Hippie, and Hogwarts Hippie has kind of spearheaded the whole thing, but uh, you folks, and there have been others as well who have sent me um, uh, uh, written pieces to do for Sidecar Snooze. Everyone who has created something because this channel meant something to them, I appreciate that so much, and it goes, it goes, it's a shot to the heart in a great way. I appreciate it so much. Um, and uh, I am really looking forward to, I'm gonna, here, let me find my, I gotta find my DMs, because uh, I can't remember precisely who, yeah, Shotzi sent me the most recent one, but there's another one. There's somebody I'm missing, and I apologize. Who was it? Dang it. Um, but I do, I just appreciate all of you folks who have who have created these um, these written works and these, these this visual art. It has been awesome. <laughs> Ashmore says, I'm not talented, so I use bits. Um, you, I, you are a, a talented spokesperson for the channel, and that I appreciate. Let me go retrieve the Bean Queen. I'll be right back. We got a birthday in the house. Oh, Lisa. All right, folks, Lisa Hall has been around for a while with us, and so I think, uh, oh, it's not Lisa yourself. Uh, I'm not just going to tell Dylan happy birthday. Uh, turning 19 tomorrow, uh, Dylan, hey, welcome. It's great to have you here. Uh, I'm going to sing happy birthday because I think I feel like it's time. I want to do it. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Dylan, happy birthday to you. Folks, we've got a birthday in the house. I, <laughs> I don't want to do the like... <laughs> Tuna says, and demonetized. No, that one's public domain now. I gotta go retrieve the Bean Queen, but uh, Dylan, happy birthday and thank you for joining us. It's good to have you here on a... I'm glad you've decided to share your special day with us. I appreciate it. And uh, I will be right back, gang. I gotta go get the Bean Queen. Just a moment. Here I go. Okay, Bean Queen's on her way. But before I get started here, this is as much water as I have, so I'm gonna go get more, because I, I, look, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. It's so bright in here. Sam likes too many lights. Send help. Hype, hype, hype. Yeah, I do need help. <sighs> Oops, sorry. Oh. Bonk. <laughs> Did I get your funny bone with my belly? Yeah, they're <laughs> sending help. Who's sending help? Everybody, because it's too bright in here. Oh, gotcha. Helping her out? <laughs> I'm sending corgis to make it darker. Ah, I see. You know, corgis, bringer of darkness. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the shade lords. Oh boy, oh boy. Hey folks, check this out. We got this. This is new as a result of that hype train. So thank you very much, gang. I appreciate that a ton. 
Oh, uh, we've got this hype chest here. Boop. It's a limited time only emote. Uh, so go ahead and use the heck out of that thing. <laughs> I don't know why it gives the little, like, the sad little choo-choo in chat. Choo-choo. <laughs> Ooh, that is so full. <laughs> Iroh says, guys, we need a bomb. <laughs> there we go, Ashmore. Perfect. Okay, so, you know what? I think it makes sense. Let's start our first one with Ashmore, shall we? And I feel like we were going to do, um... There was something that, uh... Oh boy. What's up? He's got ripe. Oh, do they smell weird? Yep. Oh, I don't know why they would. That's Not odd. These, oh, the, yeah, okay, now those I know why they do. Uh, but Ash... Thank you very much. Uh, as per usual, okay, so I'm not going to look at chat, but Ash, if you've got a color, uh, and recording pig, what's up? Hold on. Um, yeah, Ash, I'm not going to look at chat, so if you want to signal to the bean queen what color bean you want to throw down, but uh, folks, uh, you can add to the bean pile, you can add to my cauldron of beans that I will eat the Birdie Bots Every Flavor Beans, um, by sharing about the show on social media. Uh, I keep an eye on Twitch and Instagram mostly, um, but, uh, okay, it sounds like she has registered your, she has registered your request. Right? <laughs> what do you say? You're not looking right? I am not looking at that. I'm looking at uh, Reed and uh, a Recording Pig. Hello and welcome to both of you. Reed, I recognize you. You've been around for a while. Oh, is this my... <laughs> um, uh, I guess I don't really need to, to read anything on, on uh, Twitter, but uh, folks, you can go ahead and uh, if you share the hashtag uh, HP out loud and use my, my username so that I can see that it's coming, um, I will throw an extra bean on the pile because I appreciate y'all spreading the good word about the show. Uh, this one is for Ashmore um, and uh, let's see. I'm getting some vanilla, so I don't think it's going to be spicy. Hmm... Hmm, hmm, hmm. Recording pig, welcome to Scooter Patrol, but read the Destroyer, you've been around for a bit. I recognize you from before, so... You've been in Scooter Patrol for a while. Hmm. Let me see. Oh, you must be Dylan! Okay, cool! Dylan, you're very welcome. No problem at all. Like I said, I'm glad you, you know, I'm glad you decided to spend some of your day with us. I appreciate it. Uh-oh. <gasps> I don't know what this is. Um, I'm getting like maybe some sort of like really light pineapple in the background. I'm realizing right now I get myself so psyched out with these. I I just sort of get kind of a first impression, assume it's that, and then any taste that I get just seems like it's coming from that. So um, I guess I'm getting a, maybe a little bit of pineapple, but I'm definitely getting some vanilla too. So I'm gonna go with the like uh, what is it called? It's not the daiquiri. It's the other like tropical drink. It's definitely a flavor Sam doesn't know, Tuna. Um, what is it? What's that drink called? It's not a mimosa. It's not... It's the... It's the... the uh, uh, Pina Colada. Yes, Memnite. Thank you. Pina Colada. That's my guess. You could be right. But it could also be crushed pineapple. If you like Pina Coladas. Dum, dum, dum. So which one is it? Uh, getting caught in the rain. I'm going to go with... Pina Colada. I don't think it was crushed pineapple. Just to be right? Just to, oh, absolutely just to be right. Yeah, I gotta take anything I can get. Alright, one with an asterisk. No, 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 no. I said exactly the thing of it. I said exactly the thing. Unless it's crushed pineapple. I'm telling you, it wasn't, it wasn't sour enough. 
to be just pineapple. I promise. I promise. I promise. Plus, you said it was it, it was right. Miss Frizzle, I don't want it. I don't. I don't want it. I don't want the asterisk. Please, sir. Could I have a non asterisk, please? <laughs> Can I have some more? Escar, love it. Thank you very much. I appreciate those bits. Keeping the keeping the cauldron bubbling. Uh, I follow the Bean Queen's rules. Bean Queen is unfair. We know this. The Bean Queen is a tyrant. <laughs> she's the bean. She's a bean despot, is what she is. A revolution. I'm gonna come in one of these days with like, <laughs> like an overthrow the Bean Queen flag, <laughs> waving around on stream. <laughs> all right, Ashmore. Thank you very much um, for uh, dropping in a good one. Turn off all the lights for uh, for my darkness. For your darkness. <laughs> Are you the Corgi Lord? My Corgi Darkness. The sh yeah, Corgi Lord of Shadows. Um, okay, hold on. It has taken me into every single setting that I have because it keeps putting pop-ups in front of me when I'm trying to look at it. Uh, and read. This one's for you. You got in just in time. So read. Here's an extra bean for you. Thank you very much for uh, sharing the good word about the show. Uh, read. I assume read the Destroyer. This is you. So I will also stretch, but... I'm going behind my invisibility cloak now while she prepares an extra bean. Reed, if you go ahead and give us a color that you want this bean to be, um, <laughs> then uh, the bean queen will select it for you. Or a flavor, or any sort of, sort of. <laughs> any, yeah, any, uh, any one requirement you have for, for the bean. Uh, meanwhile, while you're, while we're taking a look at that, we'll just, we'll start one of the regular ones. You got one? Okay, cool. Thank you, Reed. I appreciate it. Like I said, folks, uh, if you share my handle, so at Sidecar Stories and the hashtag HP Out Loud, I'll be able to see what you've been up to. Because uh, we got these, and this ain't even the end of it this week. I appreciate These are both from Twitter, and I appreciate it a lot. Uh, and I'm going to have to take a look, because I don't think I saw one from uh, uh, Lisa Hall in there. She's pretty consistent as well. Uh... It was at the very, that's because it was at the very end of last week. So Lisa Hall, you get one too. <laughs> she calls it um, casting a protection charm. <laughs> because these are the ones I can be, I can be assured it's not going to be a bad spicy, spicy bean. Um, so uh, Lisa, thank you very much. I'm going to save yours for later. My protection charm. Okay. Let me see. It's not giving me any spiciness. Mm. Okay. It's got that weird, like, smoky thing that I associate with the stink bugs. What was it? No. What was it? What's the smoky one? Come on, you can tell me. Yeah, right. It was, uh, it was coffee. It was coffee something. Um, oh boy, was it latte or cappuccino? It's, or was it some different? I don't know all the coffee drinks. I'm going to go with cappuccino. And uh, maybe I'll get an asterisk. Maybe I won't, but it's definitely the one of the coffee mixed drinks. Um, I'm gonna go with cappuccino. Final answer. It's gonna be one of the other ones, like something else, but... It's cappuccino. Yes! Give me that two on the board. It's a good week. Reed, thank you. You've helped me to succeed once more. Swansong, hello. I don't think I see you pop up very often in chat, but it's good to have you here. And, uh, Ashmore, thanks for keeping the thing topped off. Ashmore and Eskar and Memnite. Every time I take this blindfold off, there's more there's more beans in the cauldron. You've been adding secret beans. Let's see, where are we at? Um, so I'm saving mine from, from Lisa Hall. Um, thank you for that protection charm. 
Um, I'm on a good roll so far today. That ain't bad at all, gang. Oh, I just forgot. I don't have, I don't have Instagram on this one. <laughs> Holly Rose. Wow, we're witnessing bean history. And I've two got two. I've got three percent on this one. Fortunately, I know it off the top of my head. Out of yarn, we could have guessed. Um, my loudest, my my biggest uh, so, sonorous charm, or what have you, on uh, on Instagram. Out of yarn on Instagram. Thank you very much. And oh no, we know who out of yarn is. Yeah, I don't remember do. what it is. Go ahead and put your uh, option here. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I was agonizing trying to remember. Um, uh, it and yeah, it's book and hook, right? I want to say Cass was able to remind me, but I was agonizing because I couldn't remember who it is because you go by different names. And honestly, I know um, I did see it. I'm sorry. <gasps> <laughs> She's furious. She's furious, folks. The Bean Queen. The Wrath of the Bean Queen. Tell you what, I'll, I'll put this on. But uh, Book and Hook, um, you can, y'all can find Book and Hook, who, who posts um, some really interesting uh, art that Frankly, I, I don't know if I could do if I dedicated weeks to learning it. Um, uh, but it is fantastic yarn art on on uh, Instagram. And <laughs> uh, and I would definitely advise that you go check out Book and Hook. Well, and as with most of these... Um, promise it matches the color. Okay. You can't Not promise that? Is that what you said? It's for you, man. No, it's for them. I promise them it matches the color. I gotcha. Okay. Don't read chat, you cheater. <laughs> Y'all can't see this, but it looks like I'm wearing, I'm wearing, this is not an invisibility cloak. This is an invisibility uh, barrister's wig, which I use to great uh, effect uh, to sort of maintain sort of a, a hide from the law with this. I don't know what I'm saying. Okay, let's see. I don't, I'm not sure what I'm getting with this one. Well, it, I mean, it definitely tastes like sour apple, like green apple. 100% I would say green because it tastes just like a green apple sucker. So, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to go down with this ship like Alanis Morissette or whoever sings that song. Um, I will go down with this ship. I will my up <laughs> She never sings. She never sings uh, where anyone can hear why. it, though. Y'all have drawn her out. Well done, gang. Um, but this one is... Uh, uh, book and hook. I appreciate it a lot. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with honor and say green apple because that's what I would have said if I didn't see the color. It ain't. It's very blue. I must be honorable. Very blue. Every time it's very blue. Fair enough. I, yeah, I got to start to learn Every that time. that book and hooks beans are gonna be blue, and there just aren't that many blue beans in there. Surprisingly. Um, yeah, your choices are blue or blueberry. <laughs> indeed, swan song of the bean queen says Miss Frizzle. Uh, okay. Two out of three. I'll go with it. I'm okay with that. Um, now something's weird because we should have had. That's right. The one one from Twitter is getting reserved. Okay. Now we go into our weekly schedule, folks. Um, if you are still sticking with me here, it's probably a little weird. My name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories, and right now we're doing Bad Beans, where I try Birdie Bots every flavor beans. Uh, and now let me take you through my schedule. Um, I stream Tuesdays, and these these are just uh, randos from this guy. Um, you know, you know what. I was just wondering what you were what I'm you were not looking at. Here. <laughs> she is she is the incumbent queen of bean. Um, uh, I stream Tuesday through Friday. Uh, I don't stream on Monday, so let me take this opportunity instead to uh, plug two things. First of all, um, 
I am trying to suss out a good time for a watch party for the seventh Harry Potter movie. I'm not sure when we're going to do it. I'm not sure if we're going to get to it this month even because, well, we've had a lot to do, frankly. Thank you very much. The second thing that I am going to plug as well, um, and by the way, for that watch party, I've got I've got some plans for it. You can actually, oh, it's a spicy one. Uh, hold on, you know, I teach while I talk to you. You can That's do that via, via Twitch. You can do watch parties via Twitch, and we can all watch the movie together at the same time. So I want to give that a try if it's one of the movies that is available for this program. Let me chew on this before it melts my lips. I don't... <sighs> It's like salty spicy. Oof. <coughs> okay. Okay, Capitano. What's salty spicy gonna be? Um, I guess maybe sriracha. I don't think it's the super super spicy one. Yeah, it's not. It's not giving me a meltdown like before. So I'm gonna say one of the. Um, I'm gonna go with cayenne. I think. I think this is how they will interpret cayenne. Salty, yeah, salty spice. The worst spice girl. <laughs> oh. I'm glad I could entertain your daughter, Book and Hook. <laughs> Tell her that one can be for her. Cayenne? Yes! Oh, I'm on a roll tonight. Oh, I'm on a roll tonight. It's not going to be a completionist night, but it's going to be a good one. Let me get rid of some of this bad, bad spice. Salty, spicy bean taste. <laughs> it's no wonder they didn't let you in. Tuna says, Salty Spice was the name I auditioned under. Um, this was an ad audition for Spice Girls or an audition for the role of Tuna Sunday? Okay, well, that one's lingering with me. Um, yeah, Tuna, Tuna's just an actor that you hired to play your best friend. <laughs> no and money per week. Better, yeah, better yet, he auditioned under the name Salty Spice. <laughs> yeah, my handle's Salty Spice. I almost took him off the list immediately for consideration because Salty Spice? Ugh. Ugh. Left side of my tongue. All right, I got to stop chewing on the one side. Okay, next being up, folks. Um, on Tuesdays, my first stream day of the week at 12 p.m. Pacific time, we are doing Vintage Sidecar. Right now, we're in the midst nearing the end of Frankenstein uh, and at 2 p.m. Pacific time every Tuesday now we're doing Harry Potter Minecraft it is a uh, a mod basically by the flu network um, and it is a lot of fun already they've put an incredible amount of detail into it and we are experiencing the thing ourselves I am gonna be sorted like sorting hat sorted at the beginning of our next uh, session so be there at 2 p.m. on Tuesday Pacific time I hope to see you there no gonna be Nobody's going to be surprised? No, you already took your sorting quiz. I'll be honest, I'm going to be kind of surprised. Why? Because I, I don't know where, where I would land now between Ravenclaw and uh, Gryffindor and Hufflepuff. You're not a puff. I feel pretty confident I'm not Slytherin, but wouldn't that be a wild one? Wouldn't it be <laughs> wild if it just like somehow gave me the, the sort of iffy questions? Okay, this one tastes a lot like bubblegum, frankly. Um... <laughs> Tuna, that's actually a good reminder. So um, I'm understanding sort of why people do this now, but um, somebody reminded me that I should be letting people know to subscribe. It's kind of a good thought because it is going to let y'all know when I'm going to be online. Um, 
you can subscribe here or you can go over to Discord um, and you can use the, the Discord command in chat there if you need the link for it. Um, uh, but one of those is the best way to find out when I'm going to be online. And I do most of my things live here. So if you want to see the, the full stuff, even though I am planning to do some some clip shows, I'm, I'm, I finished editing one the day before yesterday and then I lost it all as I was giving it a final watch. But my hope is to have some of that uh, online soon. But the only way to catch all of them and to catch them live and to hang out here like this is to uh, to know when I'm going to be live. So Discord or subscribing, or excuse me, uh, following is the best way to do that. Okay, let me see. I'm going to go with... I mean, i got to go with bubblegum, I think. Uh, no, 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 hold on. It's bubblegum or cotton candy. And unfortunately, I, I, got, I got spicy mouth. Yeah, well, I can't tell the difference in general, anyway. but... <laughs> I feel like I remember the bubblegum being aggressively bubblegum. So I'm going to go with... I think it's spun sugar that I'm chewing on. Final guess? Cotton candy, final guess. It's bubblegum. Dang it! <laughs> Why would you do this to me? I tell you, she's a tyrant, folks. She's a cruel, cruel... Uh, you know, monarchy. <laughs> the unrest in France will lead to anarchy. <laughs> or how you say... Anarchy. Anarchy. All right. On Wednesdays... Um, like I said, I'm going to have to make a video like, why Why should I care about tabletop RPGs? Well, uh, if you want to find out in a sort of uh, hands-on way, I am doing something that, frankly, is a project I have not seen anyone else do before. Uh, I've seen other people do sort of like boiled-down versions of it, but if you would like to play in a tabletop RPG and find out what does it mean to have a storytelling game where there are no winners, no losers, it's all about the story of it, come on Wednesdays at uh, 12 p.m. Pacific time, that's the spot. Um, we are doing an adventure called uh, Recitus Arena, where we have got a group of arena fighters. It's inspired equally by, I would say, um, uh, sort of like steampunk, magical metropolis, um, and WWE slash Glow. Um, it's about these arena fighters and the lives that they live. Uh, it has been an incredible adventure so far, a huge, fascinating experiment, and it has worked better than I could have imagined. So I hope I'll see you there. Uh, have fun with the goats, says Gems. Uh, Luis Allen is in there constantly, and Luis, I will see you there later on. Um, uh, let's see. Have a good one. Have a good one, Luis. But uh, this one, I gotta stop reading chat. Sparkle love. Oh, this one. This one tastes like. This one tastes like uh, grass in a swimming pool. Yum. Now I I know that's a challenging one, but very specific. It is. People like when I get specific on it, but it tastes like... Um, well, you better give the people what they want. We used to have an inflatable pool that we would put in our backyard, and uh, when you fill it up and then... The, grass. Put it in the water and then eat it. <laughs> when the grass has been <laughs> cut recently, you jump in the pool, you get out, you run around, you jump back in the pool, the grass is stuck to your feet because it's just yeah. been cut, and then you get in, and then you're swimming around like a crocodile, and then you get some in your mouth, and that's how you know how, you gotta, you gotta chomp how fish. pool you're grass tastes. you got to chomp them. You gotta chomp, chomp the fish or I'm your a, brother. I'm a piranha. <laughs> I'm a piranha. Exactly. Uh, Ashmore and Escar, thank you very much for them bits. Them bits, them bits, them dry bits. Uh, Tanisha says, time to continue the fight against technical issues and internet stability. Good luck to you. I will see you later. This one. Our when, this is our Wednesday bean? Good grief. Or is this one Thursday? Wednesday. I just talked about Wednesday, so it's gotta be Wednesday. Anyway, um... 
I wasn't rich enough to own a pool with grass. The house had grass. We put the pool on the grass. It was inflatable. It was probably... inflatable pool has grass on the bottom. It was like five by eight feet. Um, It was one of the blue ones with the white around the top. Anyway, Ashmore says I wasn't rich enough to own grass. Fair enough. Um... Yeah, depending on the area, grass is a huge premium. Yeah, exactly. In California, etc. Um, okay. This one is a little bit mystifying. Um, and I don't think it's just the spicy bean that's getting me because uh, I got that I got that bubblegum one okay. It's definitely sweet. It does not seem like I'm dealing with a berry flavor, at least not one of the strong ones. Um, I guess maybe banana, but I'm not getting a lot of that like strong fake banana flavor. trying to run some air over my my taste buds wake them up a little bit oh i'm just a this is kind of a this ain't a bad look right here kind of the floating head kind of gig ain't terrible i'm like pay money wubby now um mem night thank you um what do you say now they don't bounce off anything they just kind of fall in uh it the 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 little ones the individual bits ones they just sort of bounce in but the when the big ones come along no, they, but they they would like bounce against your shoulder but now you don't oh see. i see i got you okay there we go yeah, I just need to be here to swat him in like a cat. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> if y'all send him to me, I, I'll do it. Um, but I don't know. For this one, I gotta go. It's some vanilla e, so I'm gonna go with like, uh, like fruit fruit cup. <laughs> you know, like you get with a school lunch fruit cup. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, what is it called? Like fruit, not smoothie, fruit salad, fruit yum, med- yummy vape vape salad. <laughs> vape sauce um i'm gonna go with yeah just generic fruit cup it's exactly hard. and <laughs> tuna and frizz brought the same brought the same energy um okay you didn't swat them oh here they come oh memnite sorry, sorry i missed them he was sleeping on the job here <laughs> this is up. so dumb <laughs> Ashford, you put a bunch of them in there. I gotta whack all these away. <laughs> Ridiculous. All right, what's Ridiculous. Don't, Tuna. He's what's gonna. Your guess? Ashmore, he's gonna give me such a hard time about this. What's your guess? Tuna and and Mom are both gonna give me such a hard time about that. Ugh. Come on, clip it. I shouldn't have done that. Clip it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. Uh. Fr- g- generic fruit cup. I'm gonna go with. <laughs> Uh, f- like fruit medley it's not gonna be like it's not berry medley or whatever but just some like fruit i don't remember what they call it i think they call it fruit cocktail or something don't cry lisa hall listen <laughs> i was just smacking it i'm just smacking the look it's fine okay fruit cup that's what i'm saying that's it, that's it fruit cup or like whatever they call it fruit cup fruit medley fruit salad whatever the hell it is it's juicy pear it's with juicy pear get out give me my next bean uh, I'm, st- I'm still saving Lisa Hall's just in case I get a second, a second terrible, terrible bean because the first one wasn't too bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I peaked. I peaked. Gosh, he's cheating up in here. <laughs> up in here. I peaked early, but we all knew this. Um, on Stop. Thursdays, of course, we do this thing. Pool fruit. <laughs> Glenn Dog says pool fruit. That's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, you know when you mow your fruit and it sticks to your feet when you jump in the pool and then you got pool fruit? Uh, it's making me invisible again. Come on, focus on me. It's there we go. Focusing on your beans. Focus on me. Uh, let's see. 
I don't think it's spicy. I feel safe. It's just it's just slowly encroaching. I'm slowly delving backwards into an invisible cave. Okay. Um, let me see. Mmm. Haven't had one of these in a while. It's that sort of toasty... I think I called it like... It tastes like a waffle cone. Uh, which means it's... Oh, it's something... Oh, it's the, the uh, popcorn. Oh, did you, did you see me get my brain blast there? <laughs> it's popcorn. I can't remember if it's kettle corn or um, caramel corn. Caramel corn, final answer. Yep. Get on it. That's tonight's... That's tonight's... Uh, <laughs> That's the first time you've done it all night. Yeah, that's tonight's Storytime MC. Um, well, folks weren't joining. Folks weren't. So anyway, Thursday he streams. Harry Potter. I forgot. I stopped in the middle of it. <laughs> I'm kind of on a roll, Book and Hook. Yeah, I'm doing a good job. High score. <laughs> I got. Didn't I get like six out of six so or eight Thursdays, out of eight one week? He streams week? Harry Potter at mm -hmm. 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I do. Do you want to do the next one as well? And on Fridays, we got the scoot and the boot, and they do a scootin' and bootin'. You're close. At 12 p.m. Pacific time, we do our spout lore session. It's a recap and world building if we need to build new characters or level up. Uh, that's when we do it. Um, that's for our Wednesday session. <laughs> that hurt my ears. Sorry, guys. Oh, boy. It's a spicy one, which means yours is coming next. Lisa Hall. Um... Going drumsticks this time. Anyway, uh, this one's super spicy. Let me see. I need some actual drumsticks. I didn't bring any with me here uh, to SoCal. Um, which one? I'm just going to bite into it. I got to bite the bullet. Uh, oh, it's really chewy. So starting at 12 p.m., he uh, does got it. Spout lore session. Spout lore session. And then and after at, that, at 2 p.m. At 2 p.m. Pacific time on Fridays, it's games. This is so spicy in my mouth. Um, I was doing it for you. We do... Ooh, it's a bad one, too. I'm glad Lisa Hall has got the protection charm up. But we do different games every Friday this month. If you're looking for the schedule, uh, frankly, you can find it elsewhere. Uh, <laughs> you can find it over on the Discord. Uh, you got a schedule channel. There's the link. I got a schedule channel. I got a notifications channel. It's in both of them. So you can see every game that we're playing on the different Fridays of this month. Um, if you do go to the Discord, which I definitely advise that you do. Cookie. Go to the notification channel, scroll all the way up, and choose the stuff you want to hear about so that you can get alerts only on those things. It's a more sort of individualized way of getting your alerts. Okay. This one actually was not as bad as it first felt. I think it's just because it's sort of spreading out. Some of it is, like, hitting for the first time. These get stuck in my teeth, though, and they start to burn my gums away. I'm, I'm, yeah, it's like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, I think we are looking at... It had like a weird bit of like sort of a, a metallic flavor almost. Um, but none of them taste like the actual thing that they are. I'm going to go with, it's it's spicier than, than um, sriracha, I think. I'm going to go with jalapeno. I'm going for that. I think it was cayenne again. You go with cayenne again? Yep. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, maybe that sort of spicy, like it was like a salty spice. I don't know. Okay, that's my whole week. All right, Ashmore. Nope. Lisa. Lisa Hall, yep. sorry. Lisa, this one's for you. Um, yep, good bean. Tell me a color. We're going in the good bean jar, don't you worry. Indeed. Is that a color? <laughs> you Jenna voice again. <laughs> I am Jenna. I know, it makes me laugh every time. Um, 
Folks, thank you so very much for joining me this week. We've got our last bean coming up. It's not going to be a bad one because Lisa Hall has been very generous and dictated that her chosen bean is one from the not bad beans category. Um, the other batch is sort of a random batch. This one, it's all good beans. Um, this one's for Lisa's, Lisa Hall's son. Oh, for Dylan. Okay. Dylan, thank you very much. A happy birthday bean for me. <laughs> um, I hope you've all enjoyed this. I certainly have. Um, I love our Thursday nights together, and I hope you will come back tomorrow or next week um, and uh, keep an eye on the uh, on the YouTube channel because on Saturday you can find the uh, uh, the first uh, part one of three of our session zero for kids on bikes. Uh, definitely go check it out. You will be excited about the. Um, the world building that we did and the excitement that we're going to have with that story. So, um, uh, Jade Dragon says, can I get that all good bean promise? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Two's our limit, folks. <laughs> Let me see. No, the people get what they want. Nice try. Bean Queen gets what she wants. <laughs> this one's very I'm cinnamony. I'm promoting it and only do bad beans for me. <laughs> Unacceptable. Um, you, I'm a people. I get what I want. Although, Jade Dragon, I don't think I saw... Am I missing something? Let me know if I'm missing something um, that, that you put on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, what did you say? Mem Knight wants all spicy beans. Mem Knight wants all spicy beans? Yikes. Um... Look, folks, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta see it on on uh, Twitter and Instagram if it's gonna be if you're gonna be hit me with any kind of bean, Memnite, dodging out of the way of your beans. What? Um, I'm gonna go with cinnamon for this one. Final answer. You're probably right. There are lots of red. That's good. Cool. <laughs> yeah, you gotta be right. Okay, Jade. Good it's to know. Cinnamon, red apple, raspberry, sour cherry, berry cherry, strawberry jam. Cinnamon is the one that stands out to me. So if you taste cinnamon, definitely I'll cinnamon. cinnamon. Yep. <laughs> it's called bad beans because it's every flavor bean. If I know I'm getting all bad ones, I'm just gonna shut down. Then well, you can't grant unlimited good beans. I can. I can do whatever I want. You can't say we'll give the people what they want and then not give the people what they want. You might. You might be queen of this this territory, but I am emperor of the whole land. I'm just People, I am the emperor. <laughs> no go, because we want only bad beans. Uh, Miss Frizzle says, Simahimazanism, strawberry jam. That's what I just heard Bean Queen say. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. Oh, man. Lisa says, I may have to make more pages so I can save you more. I'm going to go with, we, we got to keep it to one account. Otherwise, then, then I, that is dangerous territory. That's a, because if you can do it, I know these goons can do it. These, <laughs> these trolls, these, these <laughs> bad bean bridge trolls. Um, folks, thank you very much for your generosity. Sparkle Lovegood says, I'm trying so hard to subscribe, but when I click subscribe, it just goes back to the video feed and comments. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure what's going on with that. Um, if you're trying to subscribe with, um, uh, Amazon Prime, uh, which you should subscribe to somebody on Twitch. I've said it before. I don't care if it's not me, but somebody who makes your week a little bit better. If you've got Amazon Prime, you've already got a free Twitch subscription to somebody, um, and you can grab that by logging in with your Twitch information or with your Amazon information. That should work. I think, I don't know, Tuna had a, a better link to like a, a step-by-step -step with that one before, but if it's a different thing, a book and hook, then I'm not sure. 
Um, but uh, gang, thank you very, very much. Uh, I appreciate you all. Um, like I said, uh, you can add beans to the pile by sharing it on social media. Um, or if uh, Tuna Sunday has put it in here, the possibility of if we get up to the, the hype train level five, we'll add an extra bean. Um, and uh, I think I think that seems fair. Everyone, thank you very, very much for joining me this evening. Uh, it has been a fantastic week. Escar, love it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, this one, this one should should boil it over. Let's see it. Hey, there we go. My cup runneth over, and I do mean that. I do mean that sentiment. Um, I really appreciate all the generosity that y'all have had for me. Um, uh, wait, we're done, says Holly Rose. Yeah, that's it. That's it for us. Ashmore, thank you for the bits as well. Uh, everyone, For everyone donating these bits, I appreciate it a ton because that goes straight to me and it helps me to spend more time doing this, spend time editing, etc. Uh, <laughs> Gwen Dog, have a great night. Muffin Man, Mem Knight, uh, who's still listening in Discord? Uh, Emus, Emily Rose, Louise Allen, uh, Pearl Spirits. That's a new name. Hi, Pearl Spirits. Um, and uh, Dylan, thank you. It's like infinite beans, says Mem Knight. Everyone... I love y'all, and I hope you have a great week. I'll see you tomorrow, right? Because we're playing Monster Prom tomorrow, and I'm really looking forward to it. That <laughs> it's was gonna number be... one on his list when we were brainstorming games. He said, Monster Prom. Monster, I said, Monster Prom. I said, my friend is a raven. I said, big pants. Yep. Because sometimes she asks me questions that I don't know what to say, so I have to I have to throw something so else in there. he just says whatever's on his mind, <laughs> and apparently big pants were on his mind. <laughs> Come back tomorrow at <laughs> 2 p.m. for Monster Prom. Or two hours earlier than that for uh, some spot lore session, but definitely come for Monster Prom. 2 p.m. Pacific. 2 p.m. Pacific time for Monster Prom. Y'all have to look it up. Uh, actually, once I go dark here, I'll put a link in, and then that's it for me. I'm done for the night. That's it. I won't even be in Discord tonight. Uh, Liz, nope. Tanisha, come tomorrow and find out. Yeah, you'll you will have to <laughs> find out. Because nobody knows. Tomorrow. Even I don't know very much, frankly. <laughs> I'll see y'all tomorrow. Bye bye <laughs>